Hello and welcome to Contemplations. I am joined by David Rams, who is a vegan activist. And I found out about you after you made a video um, titled, Is Lotus Eaters Podcast Secretly Vegan? Where me and Harry were talking about um, halal and kosher slaughter and how we didn't necessarily agree with it. And mm -hmm. that um, we talked about it, particularly the exceptions in uh, UK animal welfare law that were made for it and how we didn't necessarily agree for it because of course if you care about animal welfare which i would like to think i do um you might disagree um then having an exception to fair treatment as it's outlined in the law at least mm -hmm. um seemed counterintuitive and you were um very charitable actually i was quite surprised when i first saw the video i thought oh no i'm gonna get raked over the coals and, <laughs> and called i don't know a murderer or something like that right um but no, you didn't do that. Um, you're actually quite nice. And you said you acknowledged that we do clearly care about animals. And I thought that, well, you've actually looked at it and, and saw some nuance there. So it'd be mm. interesting to have a conversation because there are lots of interesting aspects um, to this debate that I think no matter which side you fall on, it will make it interesting um, for, you know, informing the rationale for your certain behavior, be it veganism, vegetarianism, eating meat. Mm -hmm. I think most people go their lives without seriously thinking about it, or at least looking at it in um, perhaps the angles that we're going to look at it today, because we're going to touch on lots of um, quite deep concepts that might not necessarily be directly associated with this sort of conversation. Mm -hmm. But um, I would like to um, implore the audience to be nice in the comments. Um, <laughs> David has taken the trouble um, to come here today. so be nice it's a little bit embarrassing when i get guests in that um i might not 100 percent agree with and people are rude because it makes me look bad so please don't do that <laughs> it's going to be a nice civil conversation i think probably we've got a fair amount of common ground actually mm -hmm. yeah so i think it's worthwhile starting out with outlining our ideal situation just so we know um how everything fits into a bigger picture i mm -hmm. suppose um I don't know whether you'd like to go first. I don't mind going first, whichever you'd prefer. Um, I think, I mean, sure, sure. You okay. kick it off. You kick it off. And all right, all, then. Yeah. So um, my sort of ideal situation would be that all meat that is sold um, is raised in as close to natural living conditions <clears throat> as is practically possible. Um, so my ideal situation is still, you know, acknowledging that there's going to be limitations in the world. Um, and I want things to be as humane as possible. And I want there to be technology and research to minimize suffering as much as possible. And um, I think that particularly in Britain, and I'm going to be talking about this in the context of Britain, humans very much occupy the niche of apex predators. And I want um, there to be a sort of mechanism whereby we... Um, rightfully adopt our role in the ecosystem of that and hunting species for meat because of course if they have to be killed otherwise they'll overgraze and they'll die off eventually anyway mm. uh, and so <laughs> I think that there being a sort of uh, symbiosis between conservationists and hunters which I think often occurs naturally anyway uh, mm. because quite often you see this both in hunter-gatherer societies and modern day hunters in the western world that normally they're the ones that care about the health of the environment um, to a greater degree than lots of other people because mm. they're the ones directly in it and they also gain an appreciation of it. And so I think that that would be a good means of going about it. But I think that 
generally speaking, it would be better for people to have a greater dependence on wild food, meat or not. Just mm -hmm. that there's we in Britain in particular, there's lots of things that can be capitalized on that people just don't have the knowledge. Everyone goes to the supermarket and even say fruit and veg it mm -hmm. is grown in conditions that is um, suboptimal for things like nutrition in that it's farmed in the same patch of ground and reliant on chemicals to um, fertilize it. And that's not great. There are lots of things that are missed out there that your your body needs. I, I think of things like loaves of bread. You, right. know, you get the, the sort of Hovis manufactured ones. They're not nearly as nutritious as one that had been um, has been created in a sort of natural environment, mm. uh, as in, say, uh, our sort of medieval peasant ancestors might. Right, you just like like a less um, industrial process, more of a yeah. like, I don't know what you call it, boutique process or something like I, that. I basically. think so because yeah. I, I think that um, people have got too comfortable with um, things that are processed and mm -hmm. industrially manufactured just more generally. Right, right. Um, not even necessarily with food. I think that a certain amount of greater self-sufficiency would do the um, supply lines a lot of good because, of mm. course, throughout COVID you had lo lots of problems with food supply and things like that. Mm -hmm. So it would create greater stability from that angle. But also there's a good psychological element to it in that when you're self-sufficient, you feel far more um, psychologically, I don't know what the term is, sort of comfortable. That's not the yeah. word I'm really looking for. Uh, yeah, I understand what you mean. Accomplished, I suppose, mm -hmm. like more along those lines. You're, just, yeah. you're, you're freed from concerns about yeah, externalities. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, I think you also, um, it, on top of this, um, you need to remove obstacles for hunters to wipe away things like invasive species. Um, that's sort of tied into that former thing, things mm. like um, the the, the grey squirrel taking out the red squirrel as uh, the one behind yeah. you. Um, yeah. Things like that, because of course um, there, there is a sort of balance or equilibrium that was set. And I think that um, by characterizing it as a balance, it, it mm. sometimes is a bit of a misconception that the animal populations stay the same. They're always in flux, but mm -hmm. it's simply that certain <clears throat> animals are occupying niches in ways that isn't necessarily good for the welfare of other animals. And I think that needs to tie into that hunting as well. And mm. that's, again, in synergy with conservationists. And um, I just generally want more sort of homesteading, moving away from um, sort of urban areas, because I think high population density is not good for human beings. Um, yeah. Generally speaking, um, when we lived in a more um, natural way or a way that's more in keeping with our instincts, mm -hmm. we didn't live in large urban centers. That's you know something that's come up in the past 10,000 years, whereas human beings have been in the making for about 7 million if mm -hmm. you take the sort of earliest possible cutoff. Yeah. So there's been a lot of um, evolution there that might cause things like social problems, as well as the fact that I think it's just better to grow your own food, be a bit independent, and it appeals to me. It might not be for everyone, but I want to do it, and therefore yeah. <laughs> I'm going to advocate other people too <laughs> yeah, as well. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> just one sort of brief thing as well. My my personal dietary choice is a sort of hybrid of the paleo diet and the Mediterranean diet, mm -hmm. if you've heard of those. Yeah. Um, but it's pretty much just uh, sort of paleo diet is meat, fruit, vegetables, nuts, 
that sort of thing, greens, all that sort of stuff. And then the mm -hmm. Mediterranean diet is sort of things with oils and you have some dairy in there as well. Yeah. Um, perhaps lots of more fish and less red meat, that sort of side of things. But that's um, how I kind of view dietary choice from okay. that sort of lens. So okay. um, I, I suppose I've outlined everything in a yeah. very roundabout and general way. Yeah, but we'll yeah. be getting into the weeds of it um, and, and breaking it down in a bit. But what, what sort of situation would you like to see? Right. So I, I'm glad you went first because it gives me a more of an idea of the, you know, we're looking at kind of an ideal scenario here. Like sure. Not necessarily whether it's practical or not or achievable mm -hmm. as a separate, that's a whole I've thing we can discuss. I've tried to keep it right? relatively grounded. Like yeah. I've added in caveats there, like yeah, practically sure, sure. as possible. Yeah. Well, we'll get, we'll get more into it. I'm interested mm -hmm. to go further in that. But no, I mean, for me, it's pretty... So if I was to lay out the ideal situation I'd want to see in the world, it would be a world where people where everyone has enough nutrition, first of all. I mean, that how many billions of people are still, you know, suffering, not able to get nutrition, some not even able to get enough food to actually just live, mm -hmm. you I know, think normal it's life. A lot now. For sure. Definitely yeah. getting a lot better, but it's still there, you know. So I'd I'd want to solve that. And I'd want to solve that globally. Um and so that no one in the world has to abuse or kill any animal. Right, I'd like everyone in the world to be able mm -hmm. to access nutrition without having to do that um, for two reasons. One, because I don't think that the most vulnerable, the most innocent beings we share the planet with should have to be subjected to abuse and violence, right? Because, you know, if you look at a, describe a child, a human child, what would we describe them as? Vulnerable, innocent, defenseless. They don't know what's going on. They need protection, right? All of that can be said of animals too. Because when they're compared to us and what we can do with our tools and our minds, they are completely hopeless. We can dominate all of them, do whatever we want with them, the same as we can do a child. So I want to see a world where that no longer happens for that reason. The second reason is what we see that killing does to people. Look at slaughterhouse workers. They're plagued with PTSD, uh, social issues, uh, domestic violence at home. And it's it's across the board. The studies that have been done on this, interviews all over YouTube. There's one just been released by a, a vegan activist, Earthling Ed, a short documentary where he interviews ex-slaughterhouse workers and they still have nightmares today. They still can't live a normal life from doing that work. So killing isn't in our nature. It's not something that, it's something we cope with. It's something we can learn to handle, but ultimately it makes us into more violent people in general. It makes us suffer. So for those two reasons, I in an ideal, this, this is obviously at this point in time, we're going to get into this. It's not like it could click and be at a reality, sure. but I would hope that one day it could be a reality. And mm -hmm. um, we'll get into, I mean, that, that's pretty much, mine's a lot more simplistic, I suppose, compared sure. to yours. You know, you mm -hmm. went through way more points, but as I, we I go think my through, mind just kind of sits in sort of the public policy sphere. Having sure, done I this think for that's the difference. Yeah, time, yeah. yeah. But I think that I've got a lot of interest in all of your points. And I think as we go through them, it'll, my, my, kind of basic, um, more simplistic view will expand and become more advanced mm -hmm. as we go through yours. And then, you know, I think that's how, how it will go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it'll help me actually, next time somebody asks me that, mm -hmm. I'll have all the points <laughs> and I'll be able to do it after going through yours, basically. Sure. Yeah. Um, I, I forgot to mention as well, uh, the background, some of the uh, more astute viewers might recognize it from our discussion about environmentalism. Um, yes, we have reused it. I thought it would be <laughs> Um, amusing as well as uh, our editor didn't have the time to whip one up especially but um, it, it somewhat works I felt like it was a good counterbalance to the sort of home advantage I have whereby you, you have all the lovely animals behind you 
I have Jeremy Clarkson's face. <laughs> I, I feel like there's there's a little bit of a corrective there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, at least it wasn't um, Piers Morgan though. Would have made it worse for you, I think. A lot worse. I wouldn't want you, to be on this side. I was, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. I'd rather turn vegan than defend him. <laughs> but um, yeah, I suppose we may as well get onto something that I don't think there's going to be that much disagreement over, mm. and that is just talking about the role that eating meat had in our past. And I, I'm already going to imagine that you're going to take make the argument of well, just because we did it in the past doesn't mean we have to continue mm -hmm. on doing it that way. And, you know, I acknowledge that that's a pretty good argument when it comes to this sort of thing. Yeah. But my ar argument is predicated on understanding a little bit of this. And it's worth mentioning that I have done this before. I did a, a two-part series talking about the origin of humanity, where I talked about basically the past four million years of um, paleoanthropological evidence, both based on um, skeletal finds and tool finds, as well as some of the genetic analysis. And I, I went into a lot of detail. This is some of my favorite work that I've put out because I went through it so thoroughly that mm. I feel like I actually um, managed to explain um, how humanity developed in quite a good way, considering the limited evidence. So this is basically an excuse to talk about something that I'm, I'm yeah, passionate yeah, about. <laughs> I'm getting that. <laughs> I'll, I'll but, watch it, okay? You don't need to keep selling it, I promise. I'll watch it. <laughs> And um, I'm basically going to run through, and it, it will become clear how it's relevant in a second. Sure. But here is the the, the hominid family tree. Um, key thing is sort of Australopithecus is where you start getting around here. Um, take particular notice of um, the shape of the jaw, because that's what I'm going to mention, mm -hmm. um, as well as uh, the, the shape and the rounding of the skull, because this changes and there are hypotheses that are quite convincing about this um, that I'll get onto in a second. But um, modern Homo sapiens, as, as we are today, mm. came about about 300,000 years ago, um, which isn't really that long when some of our ancestors who may have been sort of recognizable as being similar to us lived, say, three, four million years ago. But um, I think our earliest last common ancestor with modern primates was about six to seven million years ago. That was chimpanzees and bonobos. And these are semi-arboreal primates. Many of these semi-arboreal primates were opportunistic carnivores. You may have seen mm -hmm. on programs, I think it might have been on planet Earth, but one of those where it shows a, a troop of chimpanzees eating other primates right, and, and yeah. deliberately going out of their way to hunt them. And so this seems to be something that is at least present in our evolutionary history to some degree. Um, there are, of course, other opportunistic carnivores. Horses, I've seen. Mm -hmm. um, stop me if you, you don't believe any of these. Uh, deer, um, camels, giraffes, pigs, cows, chickens, and sheep. Yeah, um, I've, seen, yeah I've seen animals act in mm -hmm. yeah, non-typical ways. Mm -hmm. yeah. Of course, this isn't necessarily a moral argument, just an observation. <laughs> sure. Um, so... We go to Australopithecus, so say some of the, the later ones, so 2.6 million years ago, they had much bigger and stronger jaws. And generally you find this in other animals as well. When they have a bigger, stronger jaw, that's for gr grinding up plant matter. Mm -hmm. So by their skeletal evidence, you can deduce something about their diet. Of course, right. it's an inference and you, know, you do still find, say, seeds and things like that alongside their remains. But it seems to be that they had a much greater dependence on on plant matter and things like that. Mm. Um, but of course, the problem with this, and this is you know part of the reason why cows or gorillas that have an almost entirely plant based diet 
um, eat for the majority of their waking hours mm. is that it's um, not very good for caloric yield when mm -hmm. it comes to um, you know having to chew all day. It's a lot of work. Of course, this isn't so much a problem for human beings anymore. If anything, most people could do of chewing a lot more. Um, but the point being that it's not necessarily efficient if you're trying to survive. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it was something about, what was it? 39 to 46% less forced to chew and swallow um, processed meat than processed root foods, which would have been the sort of carbs and the, the main basis for energy for our ancestors. So there's a, almost a 50% benefit to in, increasing the amount of meat we eat. Um, and um, this is in particularly processed meat as well. So it had been chopped up. So mm -hmm. that wouldn't be in this earlier time. We start seeing um, the use of sort of early stone tools around 1.8 million years ago when we you get the first part of the actual hominid tree, which is uh, Homo erectus. Mm. And actually there's um, there's a really fascinating site. Um, this is a bit of a tangent, please please humor me. Um, <laughs> yeah, but um, there's a site found in Demonisi in Georgia um, right. uh, where they found a, uh, a Homo erectus skull that had lost their teeth about seven or eight years ago. And so the um, their relatives must have been chewing up their food on their behalf right um, and basically giving it to them and it's it's quite a heartening thing that even that far back we are willing to put all that effort in to look after our you know our loved ones or our elderly and uh, that that's something nice at least yeah that we can, that we yeah. can say that that there's clearly empathy deeply seated within us from an early age and sure yeah i'm uh, probably helping you out in pointing that out now <laughs> yeah um so Following on sort of the, the hominid tree, um, we started eating meat more and more often. And this might have been because of changing uh, conditions. I think um, things moved from in the sort of horn of Africa where humans evolved from being more um, dense with trees to more savanna-like. And mm -hmm. so um, in tall grasses, it makes sense that you want to be taller mm -hmm. and you spend more and more time on your hind legs um, because you don't want to be caught out not being able to see a predator mm. and you know you, you see this in lots of animals that live in mm. those sorts of conditions and so there's an incentive for us to be standing upright and and changing how um we lived because our environment had changed um, did you uh, hear the, the alternative theory to this that um i don't know if you've been through this it was an interesting one that we uh, went to the water for hunting and uh, that also influenced the upright because oh, really? of the gravity. This I, is, this I suppose is that like makes a, sense because if you're yeah. top heavy, then you'll, you'll sink down head first. Right, you, so. right. And apparently that's also why we, if you'll notice the hairs on most, well, yeah, most of our backs um, are different from all of the other kind of linked ancestors. And like, if you look at other apes and monkeys and whatnot, um, mm -hmm. our hairs go in like a streamlined way, whereas those don't. So that's, uh, this is like, it's not, I, I don't know if I believe it or not. It's one of the theories anyway. I thought it was interesting. There's, um, a weird sort of theory that many um, northern hemisphere peoples were more aquatic. I mean, it makes sense because right. there are more. There's more water, but um, a, a baby born in Europe it actually floats in water, whereas one born in Africa sinks. So there's right. a, a weird sort of dynamic of yeah. we've we've adapted to the environments that we've lived in. Um, yeah. And I imagine, you know, having a baby floating in water is probably pretty important <laughs> if you're traveling through it all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
So where was I? Okay, so as as we started to eat more meat, our jaw became smaller and smaller because we became less dependent on eating plants. Mm. And so we needed less of the grinding force to grind them up and actually yield uh, useful calories. And uh, around the same sort of time, as our jaw shrank, our cranial capacity also began to increase. And to kind of give you a bit of a, a, a get out here, um, that there is an argument that around this sort of time we started to become something akin to an apex predator. So it could mm. be because of that. It could be just um, because of the eating the meat. It's very difficult to disentangle the two because they're obviously inextricably linked from mm. one another. And and so it it would be difficult to make that sort of case without sufficient evidence. But um, you started, you know, the earliest evidence for actually eating meat is around 2.6 million years in a place called Gona in Ethiopia. And this is also where we see the emergence of stone tools as well. Mm-hmm. Um, although they weren't widely adopted until that 1.8 million years ago time. And then around 8,000 years ago, 800,000 years ago, sorry, not 8,000, um, there's the first evidence of controlled fire usage, which um, also precedes a sort of cognitive explosion. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Cooking more generally obviously makes calories easier to um, consume, and so yeah. that that clearly played a role. But it seems like as our jaw shrank and we ate more meat, we became more and more intelligent to the point where we are today. And the point I wanted to make about this isn't necessarily that you know eating meat makes you smarter or anything mm. like that because it's a bit of cheap argument. <laughs> um, but more so that it's played such a significant role throughout our evolutionary history Mm -hmm. that I think it would be very difficult to disentangle it from uh, our our diets really Mm -hmm. in that we when something has been in your evolutionary history for such a long time it's very difficult to suddenly remove it Mm -hmm. and you see this with lots of other traits of of humanity whereby you know you've got the fight or flight response where it was originally meant to be um, to avoid predators in say a jungle where it makes sense to, but now you get it when you're pressed for time at work. You know, there, there are things that apply to the world that aren't necessarily appropriate yeah. in modernity. But um, yeah, yeah I, I don't know what you, you make of all this. Sure, yeah. I mean, I can say, I mean, you're right. There are definitely, there are some things that are intrinsically linked that we struggle with today, for sure. Mm-hmm. That's a, a great observation. One really good example of that would be people's addiction to things like donuts and chocolate and sugar. Mm-hmm. These are all things that have come from our ancestors when because we they were, were scarce. Yeah. Right, exactly. These were scarce and we needed the calories. We needed mm-hmm. to be able to survive uh, for as long as possible. So we crave things that are very high in calories because we don't think we're going to get them anymore. Now, we're in a situation now where we... Well, most people, I hope not most actually, most people don't fight it, which is why we have these huge issues, especially in the West now. We seem to have, um, a little bit off topic, but we seem to have adopted the Americans issue. I've noticed, um, I, I don't live in England, but every time I come back, I notice there seems to be a lot more people not controlling their intake of calories. Let's put it in a very PC way. Um, <laughs> people are getting fatter, yeah. People are getting a lot fatter here. Um, and the States has had this problem for a long time. So, um, so yeah, but, but, we all acknowledge that it's wrong, right? I mean, okay, there's 
there's body acceptance and stuff like that. But I think most regular people look at that and say, uh, no, no, you, mm-hmm. you want to sort that out, right? You only need to look at the difference in life expectancy and all the associated exactly. health problems to know that, yeah, obviously right. it's bad. We know, yeah, we know. As much as the certain people want to try to tell you it's fine and mm-hmm. normal and don't judge, it's like, no, you should judge and we should be helping these people figure out how to solve this problem, right? And um, so... My point is, is that, yeah, we've adopted things from back then, but we, we, and they're difficult to disentangle, mm-hmm. but we should try to disentangle that one, for example. Um, and I see no reason to not try to disentangle the animal product and animal mm-hmm. consumption as well for different reasons, obviously. Um, the health reason, some people would argue. I, I personally, we can get into that later on, but sure. for me, it's, it's like a ninth, it's 100% an ethical reason. I'm, I'm less interested in the health side of things. All I care about is that you can be healthy eating mm-hmm. plant-based and you could be healthy eating animal-based. The difference is one of them is, to be frank, slitting animals' throats for something you don't need. The other one isn't. Sure. So. Um, and I did think that it would be the, the moral side of things that you yeah. would come down on. And, um, you know, I, it's worth saying as well that I, I know some vegan people you know some of them are even my friends um <laughs> i'm sorry i can't resist um but yeah I, I have nothing against people making you know their own choices i yeah. i don't feel um strongly about telling people um you know you should eat like i do i'm not saying that that's what you're doing you know you're making a moral argument that's fine but in my case i'm not going to force eating meat on people i, I think yeah. that, that would be terrible if they don't want to do it then that's fine um, yeah I mean, my, I, my take on this is like i i, I mean i came here to to not to tell or prescribe you or anyone anything mm-hmm. to do but i came to try to find common ground in that i would hope all of your listeners and i know you already do believe this but i would hope all of your listeners are against animal cruelty and animal abuse and violence too i would hope so as well yeah. right because because you know you wouldn't want to live next door to somebody who was pro that you wouldn't want them to mm-hmm. look after your kids you wouldn't want them in your society you'd think they were some kind of you know disgraceful person who needs help if they were pro animal abuse so we're all on the same page there uh so you know it's it's not like i'm saying you should do this i'm saying if that's your belief then here's here are the ways that you're causing mm-hmm. significant animal abuse, significant violence to animals. I'm just trying to join the dots so in the hopes that you will make a decision to join me and many others mm-hmm. in trying to rid the world of this because we're all against it until it comes to the burger on our plate and then, okay, well, we're not against it anymore. Well, you know, that, I'm just trying to point these things out and, and have people sure. make that connection. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'm wholly in support of your, your right to do so and mm. I don't really feel like there's... You know, I might not necessarily agree with your conclusions, but I know it's coming from a good place. I don't think you're being, um, say, malevolent and trying to control people and no. tell people what to do. It's, no, no, it's no. Out of, I can tell it's genuine concern for animal For welfare. sure, for sure. And a lot of people accuse us of like, other people. I, I can't speak for anybody else, but I've been accused of virtue signaling and things like that. It's like, it's not virtue signaling. I'm on the ground and some of the things I'm doing, I can't say on air because I can't risk it, but... Um, you know, I'm, I'm on the ground trying to change the world. I'm trying to actually, I'm putting my safety on the line for this. It's not a virtue mm-hmm. signal, right? I genuinely care. And um, otherwise, why would I be here? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And come all this way to sit here with you just because I want to <laughs> feel good. And because yeah, I'm gonna, these guys are going to come for me. You know what I mean? I'm putting, I'm putting a target on my head coming on a, a podcast like this to talk about veganism. You know? I told them not to, so hopefully not. <laughs> I'm they sure. don't necessarily listen to me. I'm sure they'll be nice, mostly, yeah. right? <laughs> I, I hope so. Um, 
it's going to be a productive conversation either way. So I, I would be surprised if people went away feeling bitter and angry and, you know. Maybe when they come to my channel, they might get bitter and angry. <laughs> I'm more reasonable in a podcast scenario, but when you've got to make a video that gets to the point, you've got to be a little bit more cut to the chase, you that's, know, so. That's just the mechanics of YouTube though, that's isn't it, it unfortunately. It. Yeah, um, yeah. Don't hate the player, hate the game. Exactly. <laughs> So I think the, the first big question we need to get onto is the nature of human consciousness and how it informs our relationship with the world around us. And mm. it's worth mentioning as well that with human consciousness, you know, the, the realm of psychology hasn't really defined what it is yet. We can kind of point to what we think it, it is, what's different between human beings and other non-human primates and, and have a rough idea. Mm. But generally speaking, we interpret it as... Uh, having a, a conscious mind to to behave differently than our unconscious mind or our instincts uh, yep. would have us behave and so that makes us relatively unique compared to the animal kingdom because mm -hmm. I've, I've had people argue this before like dogs are conscious and i'm just like well not by um you know practicing psychologists metrics they're not you know they're, right. they're more conscious <clears throat> than other animals sure but they, they're not self-aware you know when when you go out of um, the house, they think you, you're gone forever until you come back, right? <laughs> they it's, also have dog time too, right? Mm -hmm. So time passes faster for them, right? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. This is this is really out there, <laughs> but I had to think about think about this uh, recently. That you know, because they because because they have such short lives, do they experience time in a different way to us? Is that why they freak out? For you, it's been one hour. To them, it's been five days. Is that maybe mm -hmm. well, the one passage of, the, of time, um, you know? One of the understandings of human consciousness that I encountered while doing my undergrad, because I, I did um, my undergrad on unconscious decision-making, so I needed to understand the, the, the conscious mind as well. Right. But one of the significant things and one of the hypotheses for consciousness emerging in the first place is that um, early human hunter-gatherers needed to know in a seasonal sort of environment where certain foods are going to be, and therefore mm. they had to have a perception of time so they knew where to be <clears throat> right. at certain times. And if you're a sort of omnivorous um, hunter-gatherer who, who goes around and travels quite a lot, nomadic, it makes perfect sense that you can place yourself temporally in the present and review your past experiences so you mm. can predict the future. That seems like an essential skill for someone like mm. that. And that might right. be one of the things that predicated our self-awareness because mm -hmm. of course, if you can place yourself in time at a specific yeah. point in time, then you have to have self-awareness. Right, but then some animals do that though, right? Elephants do that and some birds do that, migration. Mm -hmm. it, so, it's one aspect yeah. of, of human consciousness. That's interesting, yeah. That, you know, it might exist elsewhere because mm. um, I, I don't know um, if you've ever taken a dog for a walk and they found like a sandwich crust <laughs> in a specific place. Yeah. They'll remember to check that, that specific place every yeah, time yeah, they walk yeah. past. So sure. um, that's kind of an error because they, they keep on checking regardless of right, the feedback. Sure. But it's a similar sort of mechanism there. Got play. it, got it. But um, I, I suppose you, you probably have a fair amount to say about what mm. our role is as, as being conscious beings in a, a world of animals who are not conscious. Right, right. I mean, I mean, some there are some animals that pass the mirror test, right? So, yeah, I mean, that's right, so there yeah. are, it's, but it's not, it's not all of them for sure. It's a really small minority of them. Um, but um, so I, what I think is, 
we make the rules, right, of this world and um, we make them in our favor. And so what do we say is important? So we say consciousness or advanced consciousness, the ability to predict the future, the ability to look at the past and make a decision based on that. Uh, we say that's that's up there, that's number one. Up there, very close to that is our tool manipulation, which is something we are the best at on the mm -hmm. whole planet. And um, that's very much tied to consciousness as exactly, well, because yeah. it requires forward planning. Exactly. You've got to also yeah. have a sort of abstract idea of what you're trying to make before yeah. you make it as well. And exactly. that being said, that's still present in um, some, some animals, yeah, like some, beavers and things like that. Yeah, animals um, like that. I mean, orangutans can use saws and hammers and things like that as well. Also, so yeah, they yeah. have some understanding. You saw that video as well, right? Was that recent? That was only a couple mm. of weeks ago or something with the orangutan using the uh, the saw. Um, so yeah, so with that, I think we've got to realize that um, we have we have these amazing things that differentiate us from other animals and that's awesome but to then use that to prescribe how we should treat the other animals is it's akin to i don't know say um there's been examples of this in the past how we've done it to other humans for example um we'll go transatlantic slave trade why was that okay well because they're not white well why does that matter well because we are white we make the rules. So why can we mass breed animals and do what we want with them, kill them and eat them um, the way we do? Well, because you know they're not conscious as us and they can't build things like we can. But why is that important? Because we can. You know, it's a very flawed logic. And so what I would prescribe, this is a prescription actually, uh, what I would prescribe is that we try to look at the world in a way of, well, if we want to be people who are empathetic who care who want to avoid exploiting others or hurting others then we got to look at what they have that's important aside from these things like okay are they smart or do they think like me but it's more a case of do they feel pain do they suffer can they suffer do they have families and um do they care for their families do they protect their families i mean look at the, behind you you got a sheep with two lambs try and go over to those lambs and see what happens she's coming for you mm. and she doesn't care if you're smart or if you have a gun, if you have a knife, she'll come for you. These are the things that I would put and value at the top of, of, of um, any kind of list and to prescribe how we should treat them. And then, well, if we put that at the top, then okay, then, well, we're not going to hurt them. We're not going to breed them. We're not going to use them or abuse them or kill them because we don't have to. And they just They've got a similar wants to what we have. Ours are more advanced and more complicated. And But at the end of the day, you don't want to die. I don't want to die. I don't want to be tortured. You don't want to be tortured. <laughs> they don't either. And that's that's how I'd like people to see the world personally. Um, I said it's a prescription. I mm -hmm. guess I guess it is. It's something I hope more. Is I really hope people can um, turn that around and stop looking at what they don't have and look what they do have mm. that we share. That's more important to me. No, that, that makes perfect sense. I think... Um my understanding of it is that although we are conscious beings, sometimes we like to over, it's sort of coming, it's two sides of the same coin of what yeah. you're saying, but a slightly different angle, I suppose, that we look at human consciousness and we think that it gives us free reign to basically do what we want and have, right. have dominion over the world. And I don't agree with that worldview. I think mm. that actually um not to quote spider-man with, with great power <laughs> comes great responsibility you win me over with that quote <laughs> big fan <laughs> um i i think that there's still um a significant amount of sort of unconscious animalistic instinct in us as well mm. um i think that i always use the example of um 
uh, a jockey riding a horse, the jockey being human consciousness and, you know, the horse being the unconscious mind. Right, okay. In that, sure, that sometimes the, the, <clears throat> the jockey can steer the horse, but ultimately the horse is in control. If it doesn't want to do something or, you know, it, it has an aversion to something, it's going to do that. Um, yeah. And you're going to have to um, have lots of good training to avoid doing so. Um, I'm really laboring that analogy, aren't I? Um, There's a book on that um, called Controlling Your Inner Chimp, I think it's called. It's my mum suggested reading oh, that yeah. to me, cool. but I never got around to it because um, I, I don't know. It, it. I felt like it was almost insulting chimpanzees in a way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, I don't know why that was my instinct. <laughs> Let's say, yeah, it's suggesting that being a chimpanzee is negative, mm -hmm. which is, you know, what do they do to anyone? <laughs> I mean, they're, the, they're doing a pretty good job in, out right. in the, uh, the Central African jungle. Just you know, dunk it on chimpanzees, it's like for no reason. <laughs> yeah, I get, I get it. Yeah, but it, it's, you know, it's an equivalent to calling it the uh, the id or you know the the dark side of the human mind right. any, any number of those things it's just sort of a placeholder for that really mm. isn't it you mentioned about dominion and um, a lot of people do cite that religious people especially as a reason to do all the things that i've just said that i wish people wouldn't do and um that's interesting because they would also agree that parents have dominion over their children, but they would never stand for their parents doing anything that we do to animals to their children. So the word dominion, it doesn't mean do what you want. It means, yeah, maybe it means you have control, you are responsible, but you have to be responsible for them then. It doesn't mean you can just do anything to them. It means that you're responsible for their well-being, for caretaking, mm -hmm. like you would do your kids. And Why do you have dominion over them? because you are smarter, stronger, and way more advanced, gives you the, um, yeah, it gives you the the responsibility, not the, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? You know, you're not the slave master, sure. right? You, you are uh, the caretaker, yeah, I would I'm argue. I like that sort of conceptualization of, of nature. My favorite word is stewardship, which happens That's to it, be yeah. uh, a religious term, although I'm, I'm an atheist, but um, I, I like that because it, you know, a steward doesn't necessarily um, dictate everything. They're not like right. a, a natural <clears throat> Stalinist. They're not right. controlling every aspect of a system. It's kind of guiding things. And when there are excesses, stepping in. That's kind of what I have have to mind. And I agree that we, we, we should use our role as a conscious being to minimize suffering, both human and, you know, non-human animal. I think that my notion of how to bring about animal welfare is perhaps a bit different to yours. I mm. mean, I have no objections to people being vegan. I think, you know, I, I'm of the opinion that, you know, I, I'm happy to even encourage other people to do it. I'm just like, yeah, well done, go you. Um, but it, I see it as a matter of sort of personal conviction. And mm -hmm. my, my belief is that if you want to care for the welfare of animals, a lot of animals are um, domestic at the minute. Um, right. if, if we're looking at it from sort of an animal population standpoint, a lot of the animals that would have been previously wild have been replaced by a domestic population. Whereas mm -hmm. um, I know that in the States and Britain in particular, um, I think in the States there's a sort of comparable number of say grazing animals um, mm. sort of accommodating for the loss of um, the, the bison. Um, they now have lots of cows, which, you know, r run an equivalent sort of role in the ecosystem. Right. In Britain, we actually have slightly less, which is a shame and something I would like to change. And um, I, I actually think that 
moving more towards living in the countryside makes people uh, have greater concern for their environment because it's mm -hmm. easy when you're in a city when everything is you know brought to you you're far removed from the the system which you depend on i mm -hmm. want there to be a sort of scenario where more people are living on their own sort of plot of land right self-sufficient maybe even raising their own animals so they know how they're being treated mm -hmm. rather than leaving it in the hands of other people whereby they may be subject to mistreatment you don't know for certain mm -hmm. uh, and so in that sort of scenario um you have greater autonomy over um, the impact you're having on the world really right in, in a sort of sentence and that's what i want to see is that, that sort of, of of setup it's not necessarily uh, entirely contradictory to yours but um i i think that human beings have a role to keep domestic animals around because of course if if everyone transitioned to um, veganism overnight which obviously is a silly hypothetical because that's not going to happen but um, if it did then we've got a whole bunch of domestic animals mm. um, whose population is going to drop very dramatically overnight and they're, they're still um, significant they're also um, it's worth mentioning as well accustomed to humans and so mm -hmm. um it, it would be strange to release them into the wild yeah, again it because be, yeah. it wouldn't really work because they're, they've had domestication bred into them in many ways. Yeah. And, yeah. and so one of my concerns would be, well, um, although you may conceptualize it as being cruel to keep these domestic animals, at least they can have a life rather than, you know, disappearing. And the, the sort of situation I'd like to see would be one whereby, um, they get to live a good life, you know, out out in a field somewhere, mm -hmm. and that is not necessarily cut short and, and meeting. Um, because I know that there is a problem in in say farming, whereby as soon as they're um, okay to go to slaughter, yeah, as in then that they've grown to a sufficient enough size, they immediately send them off. And I I think that it'd be much better to at least give them a chance at living something close to a natural life before that happens right uh, and so um, perhaps uh, if they meet their end by human hand it'll be a lot more merciful than in nature because I, i've seen some pretty horrific things and how things go in the natural world you right. might disagree well you certainly will disagree i don't know why i said on it like which that. bit um on this <clears throat> next part that, oh, okay that i think that human beings actually have um, the ability to make an animal's death far more humane than it would be naturally. Mm. Uh, and so as long as we are concerned with um, keeping them in healthy conditions and, you know, they're, they're coming up to, you know, towards the end of their natural lifespan, perhaps, then it's okay. But that would also be a radical restructuring of how we do agriculture, which yeah. um, wouldn't necessarily be popular and may not even be profitable. So I don't know right. the ins and outs yeah, of how it, that might work. It, it wouldn't be, um, it wouldn't be, there's a couple of things you mentioned that I don't think would be feasible. Um, for example, everybody moving back to the countryside, it's kind of the, we've already gone through the trap door and mm. there's no going back the you'd have to cut out a large amount of the population to go back to living that way and who's gonna who's volunteering you volunteering are you ready you're gonna <laughs> get us back down to the numbers yeah. we can manage that so the, that kind of is done 
in my opinion, for the for the mass population. But Maybe I, some individuals could go to the country, mm -hmm. but I mean, I, I sort of have a, in mind a, a very long time frame. The the population is naturally declining anyway, right? Okay. And I, I see that as a, a sort of reaction. Um, there's a, a phenomenon known as um, you might be familiar with it called a behavioural sink, which okay. comes from uh, studies of rodents in in the 60s and 70s because right. that's when they were very concerned about overpopulation. Right. And they put them in these really population dense environments and gave them all of the resources they could possibly want. And they exhibited all of these antisocial behaviors um, just through lack of space, right, more or less. Right. Yeah. And Doesn't it got to the point me. where the population dropped lower than it would have been had there not been um, this sort of intervention in the first place. Right, right. Lower than it would be naturally. Okay. Uh, and so that's a really undesirable situation. Yeah. I think the, the only reason that um, the population is growing at all here is because of, um, you know, the government policies on things like mass immigration, where there's a net of right, 500,000 right, right. people a year and things like that. Sure. And so it's being artificially inflated. Whereas if things were to develop naturally, I think the population would just decline slowly over time and yeah. then get to a point where it's stable and, and healthy in my mind. I don't know for yeah. certain. And it's also, I'm talking over the course of maybe a thousand years. Right, 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 right. Okay. You know, I, I don't want to kill anyone. I, I yeah. would like to to <laughs> make that as clear as possible. Sure, yeah, I think we got that. I'm not advocating for anyone dying. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, um, yeah, you're, you're yeah, so your view on that, I think, is, you know, it's interesting and I'd, I'd need to think about more about this kind of depopulation idea and and these, not to put that word in your mouth, now, you're, now your viewer is going to be like, wait a minute, is he with the uh, World Economic Forum or, okay, um, but um, I'm thinking more, I think, I'm thinking more today and more in the of next course, 50 yeah. years. That's, that's kind of mm -hmm. how I'm talking about these things. Um, and and I, the, I, I mean, I, I agree, um, Right. you know, it's not feasible. Right. Um, it, I'm just a bit bitter that it's not going to be feasible sure, in my sure. lifetime, right? Um, and the stuff you mentioned about, all right, so the wild animals and versus the domesticated animals and, and the points you made about domestic animals, putting them in the wild would be grossly un unfair. Um, mm. You'd be signing their death certificates, all of them. They're not going to be able to survive, they starve and stuff because they're not, yeah, they would never, never been there. They have no instinct, no wild instincts. They're man-made animals uh, that don't look anything like their wild counterparts would have looked. And actually, if you look at the, if you go by just numbers, the most successful species on the planet is the factory farmed chicken because there are literally billions of them. So, um, you know, if it depends how you define successful, but just just to put that into context, you know, it's it's insane how many are bred and killed on a daily basis. Um, but uh, that's the point I'm getting at is that they are bred into existence. They don't just appear randomly. They're not caught out of the wild. Farmers literally implore various different tactics to get them breeding as many as they possibly can. Uh, with uh, cows, they they go in and, and physically put their hands inside uh, cows, as in one hand inside their ass, and then another injecting them with semen in their vaginas to make them pregnant in the dairy industry and also in the meat industry. So they're physically going in and they whack off a bull, by the way, I don't know. With the, right, the, the scientific word it, it for that would like be. It seems like a very counterintuitive um, way of doing it because, you know, you would think that these sorts of things would have been as deeply seated in the natural world as, right. as possible. Well, it's just more efficient for them to do it this way. Mm. They don't have to wait around for the cows to get in the mood. They can go in there and force them to get into the mood. Um, they, with the, with the females, with the cows, they'll put them in a big metal contraption and force them to be impregnated. They don't have a choice. And with the bull, they get them excited and then mm -hmm. stick a thing on and, and 
yeah, jerk them off. So this is this is this is what they're doing in these industries. Same with pigs. So they're literally forcefully breeding these animals, and um, they don't exist in the wild. So the idea that it's better for them to live like this versus the wild, it's there is there is no wild version of this. Mm-hmm. This is just what we are creating. Um, so I, I don't see the the comparison to how they're killed in a, in a slaughterhouse versus the wild. It's not. I, it doesn't really work because it's, there's there's no. Do you understand what I'm saying? They're not I parallel. Think so, yeah. They're, they're, they're just either. If we stop breeding them, there'd be mm-hmm. no death. Full stop. Because they wouldn't be in the wild and they wouldn't be in farms. Yeah. So that would be the end of it. Mm-hmm. But uh, on the note of the humane slaughter part, like what is that to you actually? What does that look like? Um, there's there's a, a few possibilities I think, and what I mean by humane simply means quick and without pain. Right? Yeah, you know or, what it really means. The word like definition with compassion or benevolence. Okay. Yeah. That, so how, that works. Yeah. Yeah. So um, how, how would we? How would we? Uh, it's a tough question. I'm putting well, on the spot. How how would you kill an animal with compassion and benevolence? When they, when they, not like euthanasia, when mm-hmm. it's just for something like, so, a, you know, a burger. I'm going to use one of the, I'm going to make it difficult for myself on purpose. Okay. Um, I'm going to use an example of um, cows because I, I understand that that's one of the examples that's brought up where it's quite brutal in some cases. And I think there is, um, in fact, I remember her name. There's a, a psychology um, professor called Dr. Temple Grandin, who yeah, do you, are you familiar? Yeah, yeah, familiar. Yeah, you yeah. probably know what I'm going to say, but for the sake of the audience, um, she tried to design a sort of humane slaughterhouse through understanding how the cow's psychology worked, uh, and so there were lots of different ways of reducing their anxiety because, of course, there are lots of sensory things which the cows can kind of tell. They're not, you know, stupid. Mm-hmm. They they know that. Um, you know, with the smell of, of blood or, or, you know, other cows being anxious mm-hmm. that there's something going on. Yep. So if you can reduce that um, by the design of the building, and um, that's a step in the right direction. Right. And um, sort of uh, looking at how you can, it, it should be a process whereby you have technology and, and research trying to refine something and make it as humane as possible by understanding the animals themselves, um, what makes them anxious, what makes them uncomfortable. Right. And then when it actually comes to the slaughter itself, um, a a means in which they experience as little pain as possible, none at all is obviously the most desirable. Mm -hmm. And um, I know um, in my video that you um, responded to, I mentioned about stunning them first right and um that's at least better than uh cutting their throat and leaving them to bleed out mm-hmm. um which i i feel is quite barbaric really um, and, and that's interesting that mm-hmm. you mentioned that because then it's see the way i see what you just described mm-hmm. is the way you see halal mm-hmm. right so you see halal as barbaric and unnecessary why would they do that mm. i see shooting an animal in the head and then slitting their throat as barbaric and unnecessary why would you do that yeah so you understand where I'm coming from, of course, right? and yeah. I was preempting you saying that as yeah. well. Um, no, I, I can certainly see where you're coming from. Yeah, and I think but the only difference with halal and kosher and uh, and I say us, whatever the way that the most of the West wants it done mm-hmm. is um, halal and kosher. They they just slit the throat. That's it. And what what the rest of the West wants is for them to be either electrocuted 
shot in the head, um, gassed, or suffocated before having their throat slit. Does that sound any better to you? Not especially, no. Um, but I, th- I think it's still better um, than than the halal option, sure. But then right. I can I can see the the sort of um, hierarchy of humanity, if you will, uh, right. to to sort of uh, put myself in a corner on purpose um, that, that you're setting up here. And I think that when it comes to uh, the sort of nutritional element, you, you're going to see my sort of rationale for it, if you will. Sure. But I, I see it. I, I take no pleasure in the fact that it's causing animals discomfort. I don't want right. them to. It, I just see it as a, a necessary evil. And Could I, before we go to the oh, nutrition, course, yeah. are we going to move to nutrition after this bit? Uh, Is that the plan? Not quite yet. Okay. Okay. Well, well uh, we can do if you want. No, no, no. Um, just that okay. we're on the topic. So sure. of um, humane slaughter. So um, we queued up a video and this mm-hmm. is actually referring to pigs. I said gassed, um, which some people might think I'm being, you know, or mm-hmm. exaggerating or something like that. And know that in the UK and re- most of the rest of the world, they literally use gas chambers uh, to quote unquote stun pigs, which usually it kills them with CO2 gas. And uh, the UK, we'd never been able to prove that in the UK. I mean, we knew it was happening and the RSPCA approves it. And But it's kind of always been a wishy-washy kind of, is it the same as what we see in Australia? Is it the same as America? And, and they just kind of claim, no, it's not, it's better. And and um, a good friend of mine, um, Joey Carbstrong, who's a, an investigator and activist, he actually was able to get inside and plant secret cameras and for the first time show exactly what happens to a pig in a slaughterhouse. Mm-hmm. So this, this is RSPCA approved, humane slaughter, this video, if you want to sure. click it. So that's inside a gas chamber where they've put them in, three of them in there. And what happens is it drops down and down at the bottom is where the CO2 gas is. So this is now they're breathing it in and it's burning their lungs. Inside out. So from the inside out, it burns through. And they basically just keep them down there where the highest concentration of the gas is until they are either dead or passed out. This is in Manchester. And you see it's just like, uh, goes round and round and round and round. They do this all day. That's certainly nightmarish, isn't it? It's, it certainly doesn't meet my understanding of what is humane. Am I okay to pause it? Though? Yeah, sure. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's, that's here and there's multiple gas chambers all over the UK where they mm-hmm. do this exact same thing. And uh, like I said, that's RSPCA approved. This is humane by mm-hmm. all, like what they say anyway, that's compassionately and benevolently uh, killing a pig. So um, that, they, yeah. That doesn't meet my definition of what, what compassion is. Um, yeah. I, I think that a bullet straight to the head is a lot more compassionate than that. That's needlessly drawn out and it's almost like they've engineered it to be as cruel as possible if anything um, yeah in the you know the narrow boxes they're all squashed in together um they're being gassed they're all thrashing around hurting each other in their final minutes it's not um a particularly nice way of of going about it although of course um, i imagine you would say there isn't one but i mean that's that's about 90 something i think it's over 90 percent of pork comes to the shops through this exact way um so even your 
high welfare farms, they mm -hmm. send them to the same places. They might have a, mm -hmm. a nice life before they get here, but then this is the end of their life. And this is the case for um, all animals, really. They, what you said earlier was great. When we see the animals in the fields, like, I don't know, these sheep here in the field or whatever, I, I get it. I, I, that is nice. They're having a great time. Mm -hmm can't doubt that. I've got nothing against them when they're in the fields. That's amazing. It's what happens after that point where it becomes, this is not a rescue we're looking at. These are not sanctuaries. They're not They're not looking after these animals because they care about the animals. They're looking after them for a profit. And mm -hmm. when the profit day comes, they're going to get what's coming to them and it's not going to be pleasant mm -hmm. and it's not going to be humane because it can't be. Yeah, well, I'm, I, I'm more than happy to join you in opposition to whatever this is and the fact that yeah. it's 90%, um, if, if you know, it's obviously difficult to quantify because, of course, I imagine it's not something you would want to advertise um, that you're doing this sort of thing. But yeah, there's obviously much better ways of doing things if you're going to do it at all. And that that seems to me to be something that is sort of pervasive in lots of aspects of the economy. And that is you're doing things in a way that is... Um, uh, it's a weird word to use, but inhuman just to make a little bit more money because I presume that's why they're, they're doing it, right? Is that yeah. it's, it's economically efficient to do so yeah. and they're not considering the, the welfare of the animals. Well, the alternative to this would be um, shooting them in the head and then slitting their throats, which some would say, I'm sure some people would say that's significantly better than this. Myself included, um, yeah. Yeah, sure. But it's not significantly better than not doing that, which mm -hmm. is an option to, as well. Mm -hmm. And um, we've still, we'll still we get to the point, I guess, later on as to why uh, you don't think that is an option. But I, I'm I'm here. Mm -hmm. I'm living. I'm, I'm going to the gym. I'm doing all <laughs> right. You know, I'm six foot two, 90 kilos. Yeah. I'm feeling pretty mm -hmm. good. And uh, I've been doing this for, I was born vegetarian and vegan for 14 years. And there are plenty of us out here. So, I mean... I'm not necessarily trying this, you know? to, you know, convince everyone. You know, sure, sure, no, yeah. I, I, you know, I don't it's, more for, it's not for you. It's more for the viewer because I know yeah, I, yeah. I'm used to what the things people say. You know, that's mm -hmm. all. So I'm just trying to get a few little points in as we go. Sure. <laughs> so I think it might be worthwhile going on to what is the line between what shouldn't shouldn't be eaten, and sure. this always <clears throat> fascinates me because everyone draws it a different place. Right. Right. And. Um, I suppose I, I may as well talk about where I draw the line okay. uh, and how I perceive the, the question in the first place, just to kind of set you up for what I have in mind. Okay. So things like um, foie gras, um, veal, uh, and, and, you know, lamb, I, I avoid those things right. um, to be consistent with my principles, though that seems cruel to my mind, mm -hmm. needlessly so. You know, I, I don't think in killing a, a young animal um, for food is justifiable and you know foie gras obviously incredibly cruel because you're overfeeding is it yeah. a goose I think yeah um, um, things yeah. like that things akin to that where um, it's not really a justification it's not necessarily comparable to the natural world in any way we're just using our our position as the dominant species on earth to to get away with being cruel basically mm. And I think you would agree with me there. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you know on the uh, topic of the young animals? Do you know what the average slaughter age is across the board? It's it's quite young, isn't it? And that's part of the reason why I mentioned it earlier yeah. is that I I think it should be 
you know, they should be given a bit of a life. But currently it's about, it's with the chickens, it's a matter of like a couple of months with cows and bit larger animals and pigs. It's, uh, you'd be lucky to get a year before they're killed. So they're literally like one year old baby animals. Um, so I know the world you want to see is a world where that's not happening. Mm -hmm. But the reasons you don't eat the veal is because they're young. Yeah. So you see where I'm going with this. Sure. But that it, it's possible for there to be a scenario where, uh, in my <coughs> mind at least, where that isn't done and it's feasible. Sure. But also, um, that would also involve just the global food production of everything, right? Meat or mm. not, um, going up because if you're, um, you've got to sort of make up for the shortfalls in efficiency, um, which seems a bit crass considering what we, we just saw. But um, yes, you, but we are going to get to a point, um, perhaps even in the next hundred or so years, where there is an abundance of food and we can reassess our options at, at some point because, uh, as I understand it, um, in particular places in, say, North and, and Central Africa are mm. doing a lot better for um, food scarcity and things like that. Um, the reliance on foreign aid is going down, domestic agriculture is going up. Right. So things are, are looking like they're going in the right direction there and it is it's going to happen basically as long as you know we're not hit by a meteor or something very unforeseen happens that hunger for human beings is going to be eliminated within a couple of generations right which is great you know is is a massive milestone in in human civilization but that will also afford us an ability to um, greater flexibility with how we approach our food networks because we're going to have these surpluses we're going to have efficiencies we're, there's also um, just for say plants for example mm. selective breeding genetic modification um, I know some people have um, questions about GMO stuff I don't really know enough about it yeah I'm not too clued up on that mm -hmm. but yeah, some people don't like it yeah. but I, I know there are <laughs> circumstances where only um, modified things can grow in certain environments like it like a partial desert or something like that. Right. Um, it's the only way some people will be able to get food. So okay. it at least serves some sort of role. But that's going to afford us down the line when the situation is right, a greater flexibility um, to treat animals um, even more humanely than, you know, the standards that I want in mm. the first place. So you, that's that was your, was that your final piece on where you draw the line? Do you want me to say where I draw um, mine? Well, I've, I've got... Uh, I kind of went on a bit of a tangent, really, didn't I? <laughs> it went off. Uh, yeah. So, actually, have a, a fair amount. I, you know, I, I don't feel too bad about eating things like shellfish, for example. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think a a mussel or a, a prawn has a, a complex internal life, mm -hmm. uh, and I, I think that things like that, perhaps some fish as well. Um, you know, you can make the case that the complexity of their nervous system and their brains which you know it almost seems strange to describe it as a brain mm -hmm. some of them literally don't have them uh, you can argue that its perception of self is so lacking that as long as you're not deliberately inflicting pain on them there could be some justification in, in eating them but the problems mm -hmm. get to sort of mammals really that's where i see the, the gray area as lying in, mm -hmm. in my mind at least because mammals have a greater level of intelligence than a lot of other animals. Mm -hmm. And so, say, pigs have a similar comparable intelligence to dogs. And, and so, generally and speaking, I, yeah, so I, I generally <laughs> avoid 
eating pork for that reason. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, you're in a, a scenario as, as a meat eater be- where it's unavoidable. Like you're going around, you know, a family member's house. <laughs> Wait, which, which give, give me one scenario where it's completely unavoidable. Um, Apart well, from in a jungle where there's only a pig and <laughs> you, you eat the pig or you die. Well, I, I mean, unavoidable <laughs> as in, you know, my, I avoid it uh, as a general rule that I'm not always yeah. 100% on, right? You know, I'm just busting your balls. That's, that's all I can say. Right. It's just say, but, it's but say I go to like a family a member's house and they've cooked something up that mm-hmm. contains pork. I'm not going to say, oh, I, I'm not too sure about that. I mean, if if you you know if we're, you were serious about it, convictions, mm-hmm. yeah, you would definitely say that because but say they're you know you, after seeing mm-hmm. this, I would hope you would say hell no. Mm-hmm. Actually, I would hope everyone would say hell no after seeing that video, mm-hmm. regardless of who's made mm-hmm. it. But, but so things like chickens. Um, Obviously, the battery farming is, you know, a, a less than ideal scenario, to put it lightly. But at the same time, I feel less bad about eating chickens than I do mammals because, uh, to to put it in a way in which uh, someone once told me, uh, if a chicken were a human size and you were a chicken size, the chicken would definitely eat you. <laughs> <laughs> it's and, funny, but yeah, it's true. Um, and don't argue, can't argue with that. <laughs> mm, and they they sort of have reptilian brains that. Yeah are far simpler and so it's easier to justify eating a chicken Mm -hmm. than it is eating a pig for example right Uh, and so i feel less bad about that but there's a Mm -hmm. sort of hierarchy based on um intelligence which is kind of playing into what you said at the start isn't it yeah i mean i i i get it i understand the logic behind this and it's Mm -hmm. the natural kind of logic that people tend to have to be honest people fall into that and they don't think too much about it. Actually, I don't think most of us think too much about anything. It's only when you start podcasting and stuff and you start actually <laughs> thinking about these things because then people criticize criticize you and you realize, mm. oh God, I can't just say anything anymore. I need to actually consider what I'm saying. But the majority of people aren't in that boat. So these things, questions don't come up. But when it comes to, like I said earlier, yeah, I'll, I'll repeat it, but it's, it's uh, I think we should value more about what we have in common versus what we don't. And with a chicken, Look, I mean, the only thing we need to know about a chicken is that they've they feel pain. They have families. They chickens protect their young um, viciously, ferociously. Like you said, mm-hmm. if they were human size, they would they would do us in because they are, um, you know, they're protective and um, so that's important. And but on a side note to that, not that it impacts this in any way, but I think it's interesting. You know, I've I've watched House of the Dragon with a chicken. Uh, the Game of Thrones. I'm dead serious. <laughs> I was at my friend's sanctuary. I sat on the sofa. We sat on the sofa. We're watching House of the Dragon. Uh, one of his uh, rescued chickens comes up, mm-hmm. sits down, watches it with us. And I don't know what's going on in this little chicken's head, but she's watching the moving images and she's having a nice time. I would have compared her to like a baby. They don't know what's going on, really. But they're having a good time, safe, comfortable, warm, making little clucks from time to time, just appreciating the company and the safety and the security. So for me, that all I need to know about them is what I said, but that also mm-hmm. helps me connect with them a lot more. And I would hope helps the listeners connect with them a lot more as well. Um, but where, where to draw the line for me, I can get into that if you want to. Sure. I've got yeah. a few more bits okay. and pieces to say. Um, okay, cool, cool. I think, um, I think there is a tendency in human beings because we're very sociable animals to sometimes um, anthropomorphize animals. I'm not saying you've necessarily mm. done that, but it's just a human proclivity. Yeah. Whether, you know, whatever your dietary preferences are, we like to see ourselves in the world, really. And sometimes mm. it's easier, it is easy to read behaviors that we want to see in animals because we want them to 
be more intelligent, intuitively, right. don't we? And we get the shock sometimes when they act out. And we, well, I mm -hmm. thought you were cool. I thought we were friends. Mm -hmm. And the dog bites you and you're like, yeah. what the hell? <laughs> I thought we were, what's mm -hmm. this? Yeah, yeah, I get that, yeah. They make that yeah, mistake I, sometimes. I, I found owning pets is a, sort of a great way of realizing that you anthropomorphize animals in that I think, oh, well, you know, other cats might be um, stupid, but I've raised my cat right. And, you know, yeah. she understands the world. And then it, I think I've, I've sufficiently civilized her to live in a home. And then I'll look outside and there'll be a feather floating down and she'll be chasing it around or right. chasing her own reflection or something like that. I'm just like, oh, you know, <laughs> what was I thinking? But, um, yeah, yeah. I, I suppose I, I'm going to, um, pose two different examples that make things tricky. One's a, right. a, a little bit far out and, you know, is pretty easily dismissed, but it, you'll get the gist of what I'm trying to say. So okay. trees, um, they share water and nutrients through underground fungal networks. Mm -hmm. And they also use these to communicate with one another. Um, they send distress signals about drought or disease, um, insect attacks, and um, they will often alter their behavior um, once they receive these signals, mm -hmm. they often live in family units um, and favor communications with genetic relatives. Mm -hmm. um, some stumps of trees that have been cut down have been documented to have been kept alive by their relatives for up mm -hmm. to 500 years after they've been cut down. Um, they also um, communicate using pheromones. Um, for, for example, the acacia tree releases ethylene gas, which warns neighboring trees um, that something's eating it and then it, make, it injects more tannins into its leaves. So it reacts to this. Mm -hmm. um, and they also communicate using cracking noises at a frequency of around 220 hertz um, in the roots, mm -hmm. um, which is inaudible to humans, but they can pick it up. And so they've got all of the hallmarks of something that might be considered, you know, comparable to a human being in a sense. Mm -hmm. You know, you can read into it very human instincts, you know, yeah. the, the, the instincts to um, care for one's family or, um, you know, look after the sick. Mm -hmm. these, these are things that we feel might be perhaps unique to us or mm -hmm. um, I think more charitably, you know, it's present in some animals, but not all. But mm -hmm. then um, you find it in trees. And, and so my sort of point in bringing this up in the first place is that, um, you wouldn't necessarily say, um, you know, trees are animals. We can't cut down another tree. Mm -hmm. um, but it's easy to look at, say, the the, the setup of a, a living organism, be it plant or animal, and read into it um, human-like behavior mm -hmm. because that's how we're wired to think. And, it, you know, I do it all the time. So yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. It's, it's not something I can fault anyone on. Sure, yeah. I'm glad you brought this up because this is why I don't eat trees, actually. It's really... Uh... <laughs> Damn. <laughs> I thought, thought that'd be it. No. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, trees are amazing. Plants are uh, incredible. I've read books about plants um, and uh, how they communicate and, and all this. It blew my mind. Absolutely amazing. Way more complex I remember complex finding out about this. Yeah. I, I think it, it was actually... I went to see Ray Mears. Um, right, childhood hero of mine. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It, I'm not sure um, if you you couldn't tell from my reverence for hunting and gathering. Right, right. and uh, yeah, I've gained yeah. a bit of a reputation amongst the audience for being a bit of a sort of survivalist. And I enjoy okay. going out on Dartmoor and you know, right, living right. on my own means. Nice. Um, so yeah, I mean, with um, but with the trees and with the plants, and I mean, um, 
but I'm glad we share that mutual respect for them. I think mm-hmm. I, I don't. There's no need to um, kind of a lot. I think a lot of vegans would be in the position of just saying, "Oh, you know, they're they're nothing. It doesn't matter," and things like that. And um, I think it's a natural reaction because a lot of people tell us plants feel pain, so a lot of vegans will be like, "You know, no, they're not. They're, it's a that's a dumb argument," and uh, I mean, move they, on from it and just kind of dismiss it. But I think I think look, let, let's put it this way, right? Um, taking all of everything you said at face value, that it is 100 percent true, and let's even go. A step further than that let's say that we know they have some level of sentience trees and plants mm-hmm. let's take it that they're the absolute kind of the least advanced consciousness but there's something there they're lower than animals but there's something there which i can grant that some spiritual people believe that fine um if your goal is to stop killing them and and um you know have less harm to plants you'd still be better off if you're eating plant-based because all of the food that's grown for animals, 80 billion of them, is significantly more than the food grown for us. So in that context, you'd still be better off eating plant-based anyway. Um, and um, I had another point, but it's gone. But yeah, so so, right. so granting all of that, it was mm-hmm. still... And oh, that's the other point. Um, if it turned out they did have some kind of sentience, like I said, some kind of consciousness, it would still be, we'd have to acknowledge, lower than animals. And we have to eat something, right? Mm-hmm. So given the choice of, okay, where are we going to be doing the least amount of harm? If everything is harm and they can feel pain now, we acknowledge that plants can feel pain. It's still going to be the best option because of the least, uh, you know, the, mm-hmm. the lowest experience they have. It's going to be, they don't have brains, they don't have nerve endings. Whatever they're feeling is most likely not the same as, as any, any animal would be feeling, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't even, wouldn't even be on yeah. the same radar. And I, I, I did look into the sort of argument of plants feel pain and I, I looked at some of the research and, you know, I'm, you know, very interested in the sort of naturalism and, and not, not you know, stripping off naked, the, the other kind. <laughs> um, the, the kind where you're interested in nature. Um, yeah. And... Naked. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Don't say that because the audience will pick up on that now. I'm going to say, oh, Josh is secretly a hippie. He goes walking naked in the woods all the time. Something hippie about that. That's ancestral. You're talking yeah, about, yeah, you know, yeah. that that's what you what you mm-hmm. want. You want smaller communities, less clothes, back in the countryside. I have seen it before when I've been hiking on Dartmoor. There was uh, <laughs> some nudists and I was just like, oh, that was a bit left of field. But um, <laughs> what was I going to say? Plants feel pain, I think. You're oh, yeah, that, yeah. yeah. Um, it, it's not in the, they don't really have a comparable nervous system to most animals. And mm-hmm. so it would be pain, perhaps, but in a very different way. Right. More so to a lot of the negative um, sensations of pain that's generated in the brain. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense to say that a tree has a brain. And so right. it's not necessarily comparable. Yeah, it's but signals and responses. It's akin it is, to yeah. getting your phone out and tapping it and saying, is mm-hmm. it feeling pain? If I tap it harder, like, no, it's doing a, the, on the mm-hmm. iPhone, they have the 3D press, right? It's mm-hmm. just, it responds to what you do. Sure. Not saying that plants are like phones, but in, in just, they're like more, they're kind of like biological I understand computers, the basically. analogy, yeah. Yeah. That's actually a, a good example. Um, I remember um, finding some, some crickets that were clearly for someone's pet um, on the side and I actually kept right. them. Uh, because they were in, in like 28 degree heat. And I thought, well, I'm going to let, I can't release them because they're invasive. Right. Keep them and uh, allow them to live out a natural life. Right. And uh, one of my friends described them as biological machines. Like, and that was kind of a moment where I was just like, yeah, you, you're kind of right. Like there's, mm. at the time I was studying psychology. Right. And right. there's a lot of truth in that sort of, of phrase, even mm. though, 
you know, it's a weird phrase when you think about it because we're using our own creations. What's that, sorry? These are crickets, did you say? Crickets, yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, little did I know that they uh, cannibalize each other even given sufficient food and space. Really? Yeah, that. so uh, <laughs> okay. I, I gave them to one of my friends who had a pet tarantula. And I was just right. like, right, if you're going to eat each other, I'm not going to help you. Right. <laughs> So, yeah, um, there's some, there's some research. I can't comment on this, but there is research being done into insect sentience now. There are some people mm -hmm. who devote their careers to that. So that might be about to change too, on, you know. On the topic of sentience, the last thing I'm yeah. going to say before mm -hmm. I, I've been talking quite a lot on this topic, um, before I sort of hand it over to yourself is, um, sort of mycelial intelligence. And you might be able to preempt. It's a bit of a left of field notion. I'm not entirely sure whether I buy into it, but okay. there's, there's something there. Um, so, the honey mushroom, um, you know, is an edible mushroom. You can find it in North America, particularly sort of Washington State, Oregon, that sort of area, pine forests that it mm -hmm. grows on conifer trees. And there's one single network, which is technically one organism, which covers four square miles or, or 10 square kilometers of soil, mm -hmm. making it the largest biological organism, or I think it, that's fair to say, in right. the world. Right. And it could be at least 2,400 years old or as ancient as 8,650. Those are the range of estimates. Mm. But the point being that there are more mycelial connections um, than in a human brain underneath right. the soil. Mm. And um, our current neuroscientific understanding of how human consciousness and, and the human brain works is that the more neural connections you have, the more complexity there is in, in your thought processes. Right. And it's, it's sort of these network of nodes, it, mm. you know, they're sort of parallels in computing as well as how people understand it. But basically sure. the more neural connections, the better for intelligence. Right. And, and these mushrooms, uh, this one mushroom organism has more connections than in a human brain. Right. Right. So there's there's a case to be made that this mushroom could well be more intelligent in its own way than a yeah. human being. Sure, if, sure. If you're judging it based on those metrics, of course, mm. there are the limitations of well, the human brain, uh, the 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 signals have to cross a very very narrow, tiny sort of microscopic distance, mm -hmm. whereas over the what four square miles, ten kilometers the speed in which a signal could travel mm -hmm. is limited. And so that could well be a limiting factor. Right. But um, that also compounds with the fact that mushrooms are more closely related to animals than they are plants. Yeah. yeah. And yet many vegans eat mushrooms. This yeah. always confuses me. This isn't like something that, that is um, to catch you out. This is sure, just yeah. a genuine question where I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued because I pose this to some people. Yeah. And they're like, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of your mind, they think I, I've gone a bit. <laughs> mad, it's super yeah. interesting. Now, I mean, I stopped eating mushrooms after The Last of Us in the hopes that when they do take over, <laughs> I'll be all right. They'll remember that I left them alone. That's why I say thank you to uh, uh, AI when they <laughs> right? take yeah, over. Yeah. They'll remember that I was polite to them. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I've I've uh, I've heard the similar stuff about mushrooms before that they're the more advanced and um, there's some people uh, say that, that that's could be the reason that they have this meaty uh, texture is because they are very similar to animals. So that's why you can sub out meat for mushrooms in some cases and get a similar vibe from it. In terms of sentience and, and what that means, I think most vegans and I probably myself even who I'll, I'll speak for myself actually just specifically draw the line uh, when it comes to 
th th these mushrooms aren't sentient. They're communicating, but they aren't mm -hmm. sentient. And it's complex communication, but it's still not sentience. And I think that is ultimately where we draw the line. Well, again, I'm speaking for my own, on my own mm -hmm. part. A lot of vegans won't eat oysters and other, uh, I think you mentioned clams, was it clams, oysters? Or uh, mussels and mussels. Prawns, I think I mentioned. A lot of vegans won't eat them because the the line is blurred here and they don't have a brain, but they have um, the nerve ganglia, which is the precursor to a brain and can act like a brain in some animals. Mm -hmm. So it's a sort of Pascal's wager sort of thing where they're not entirely sure, but they'd rather be safe yeah. than sorry. And I'm in I'm in that boat. I've never eaten anything, any animal like that. And I never plan on doing, not, you know, I just have no interest. So it, I'm kind also, of fortunate um, there. a bit risky particularly if you get them from the wild, you don't know um, what kind of, um, I think they're filter feeders, so Does you don't that, know yeah, the quality yeah, yeah. of the water you can get very sick. I just have no interest, to be honest with you. I've looked at when people eating and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm like, it's, I've never, it's never been a thing for me, so I find it easy. But yeah, a lot of vegans take a very um, strong moral position on that. And then there are mm -hmm. others that don't. So this is a, it's a, it's a gray area of where it's being debated, to be mm -hmm. honest, and that line. Yeah. Um, but on the mushrooms point, I, yeah. I don't know if that if that's clearly answered your question. I guess we're looking sure. at how to define well, it wasn't sentience. In, it wasn't entirely a serious question because I'm not entirely <laughs> convinced that you know that that classifies as right. a form of, of sentience or consciousness. I mean, I don't, I don't, they, they shape yeah. their environment in using sort of um, biochemical stuff, and yeah. you know, if there's a bacteria attacking them, they'll produce an antibiotic, which right, is right. why you know we have penicillin in the sure. first place. Yeah, I think I think when it it comes down when it comes down to these grey areas, I th I find them interesting to discuss for sure. Mm -hmm. um, oh, it's not even a grey area with mushrooms, but it's an interesting area where it's like, oh, should we? Shouldn't we? And I think I'll be totally honest with you, and I've I've said this on my channel, so it's not like it's uh, private or anything. But I think these conversations are exclusively to be had by vegans sure. because it's to have this to get into the weeds on that, and that we haven't, by the mm -hmm. way. But if we were going to do like an hour podcast i would say can we not because there we have so many more important things to discuss for an audience of people that eat every animal out there as opposed to discussing mushrooms and mm -hmm. mussels and the animals that we're not too sure about and that's this is part of where i draw this line actually mm -hmm. this is uh what i what i'll get into now if you want me to go on where i draw yeah, the line ahead. well there's there's two so there's there's uh two industries that you decide whether you fund or not as to, to eat to eat right you've got animal products you've got plant-based products that's it there's nothing else in the world unless i'm missing something else i don't know <laughs> i think that's extraterrestrial yeah. products i uh, would not got that yet so you've got plant agriculture where um there's definitely if you crunch down to it if you look deep into it you're going to find that there is definitely animals that are dying insects rodents rabbits either from pesticides or the farmers defending the mm -hmm. crops or from the machines that take them up or from the transport it can also be bad for us as well the pesticides right. in that for it gets sure. into the water supply for sure for sure for sure exactly but that's so also, you know whatever food supply exactly. you have, it's going to get in there either way. Exactly. So that's all happening with the plant production and it's an imperfect system that needs to be improved. And we all know that, but that's how it is, right? Now with animal agriculture, you've got that same exact plant system because they're growing plants, growing crops to feed those animals at a bigger scale. So you've got more animals dying, more insects dying, more pesticides because it's going, it takes a lot more plants to feed 80 billion animals versus um, 8 billion humans. If you include fish in that, by the way, which they do grow crops to feed fish and as part of uh, fish feed, it's like 3 trillion actually. Um, I don't know how many of that is farmed fish, but overall it's including land animals and fish, it's around 3 trillion. 
a year where we kill, which mm -hmm. is a number that no one knows what that even means, right? It's it's crazy number. Basically, it's every time I click this, it's about, I think, roughly um, 60 million or something like that every second or something. It's some, it's along those lines or 60 million every 30 minutes. So the numbers are so big that it's, it's hard to even keep track, to be honest. That's all you need to know. It's crazy. So... Um, so then you've got the plant. So you've got the plant agriculture, okay, which is responsible for feeding all those animals. Mm -hmm. And then so we're at the same level here, right? Or this is slightly more violence and death. Um, and then you've got the animals that those plants are then feeding and all the violence and all the death and all the abuse that happens for that as well. On top of the plant agriculture, which is more because there's more plants to be grown. So you've got a choice. Everyone's got a choice between plant agriculture, which is over here, um, at this level or the plant agriculture for animals and then the animals, right? So mm -hmm. these, these are your options. This is it. I, I, I do respect the fact that you acknowledge that there is no sort of harm-free option because I, no. I've heard lots of people make that argument and I, I've had to point out to them, like I've seen lots of farming firsthand mm -hmm. and, you know, it, it, it can be quite destructive whether it's, right. you know, a grain crop or carrots, you know, yeah, it, it makes no difference. Of course. There are still animals living there yeah, as well as the pesticides. Of course, there's the, there are these problems. And, um, you know, I want to quickly revisit the numbers I threw out there. Mm -hmm. I'm going to correct in my video um, when I put this up, by the way, because I didn't come here prep with numbers. Because honestly, I find numbers to be quite boring, if I'm totally honest with you. I feel like People they drive conversations. It difficult so, to so make even conceptual it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I prefer to focus on individuals, which is why we showed what we showed earlier, and that mm -hmm. these, you know, talking about the animals themselves, because they're not numbers, right? They're, you know, you've got you've got a cat. You know they're little. Well, I people. did have, and unfortunately, she died. Sorry okay. to uh, spring that on I'm you. I'm sorry, make you feel bad. Well, I mean, she she was she she yeah, yeah, yeah she was she was a little person to you, right? A little individual, mm -hmm. and and so that's more important than any numbers out there, which I, I try I'm trying to avoid because uh, when we see them as numbers, they lose all meaning. You know, I said three trillion. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? It means nothing. But when they you consider that each of them is like your cat then it means a lot right three trillion of her is that's that's horrific that's, that's happening um so um and okay so then where do we draw the line so where i draw this line then as well i don't want to fund all of that insane violence and abuse and cruelty to animals i know this way plant-based isn't perfect but what's the alternative just mm. you know end my life well i'm not going to do that right that's crazy so i'm going to go plant-based now the reason i I'm an activist to try and stop all of this is because trust me when I say the plant-based industry is not changing. The crop industry is not changing before the animal industry changes. There's no way in hell you're going to get the public to rally behind changing the laws on how farmers farm crops and, you know, oh, don't use the pesticide, don't kill the animals, don't, don't do this, don't do that, while we still literally breed them to kill them. You think people, you're going to get people to care about mice in a field when they don't care about pigs, cows, and chickens literally bred in the billions? It's not going to happen. So that's where I draw the line and that's why I don't focus. You know, some people say, why don't you focus on the plant farmers and what they do and how they, because what's the point? It's not going to change until that changes. That's it is a pretty change weak first. argument. Yeah. yeah, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. you, you can't get people to care about the breeding and, and literal stabbing. You're not going to get them mm -hmm. to care about the machines and the harvesters. And I think the only thing that people might care about is the pesticide side of things. True. That's true. A that lot of people work, are on yeah. that on that actually. That's mm -hmm. a good point. And that's something that, yeah, I hope, I hope, you know, if people want to rally behind that, I'd be behind that too. Mm -hmm. Right? That's something we can all get behind, vegan or not. Stop putting pesticides in all the food. Stop putting all these dangerous chemicals in our foods. Yeah. I um I went camping one time actually and I drank water which uh 
there was a farmer's field and it was slightly downstream and I, I boiled it and, and you know, it was, it was a heat wave, so I didn't bring enough and I got incredibly sick for yeah. about three days. If, if that were a wild animal, they probably would have died. Um, sure. and, and so I, I can attest if, if that was pesticides, um, because I did boil it, which yeah. makes me think that, um, it wasn't bacteria or anything, then it, it is really nasty. So yeah, I, I, yeah, it sounds horrible. Did it taste or it taste weird as well? Or um, well, the thing is that the, the the bottle that I used to um, to boil the water was a bottle of red wine, and so by <laughs> by that point, I'd uh, <laughs> it was a bit beyond tasting a funny taste in the water. It sounds like the most bougie hike I've ever heard. <laughs> You're using a red wine bottle as your water bottle. I did have other water as well. But- <laughs> I don't like to slum it. I mean, when I go yeah, out there, yeah. you, you enjoy yourself. It's it's my escapism. <laughs> but no, if, I recommend it. If you, if you ever go camping, you know, take a nice bottle of red wine, sit out amongst the, the stars. Can't go wrong. Sorry, yeah. I'm derailing here. No, I? it sounds nice. <laughs> I can't fault you there. <laughs> but no, I, I think that that's um, more or less what I expected, you know, it seems like a, a reasonable place for a vegan to, to draw the line. Mm. And um, I think that it, I've asked this more out of curiosity than anything else, because I think it speaks of how we conceptualize the natural world. Mm. And that's why I find it interesting rather than do I want to eat it or not? I don't, I don't necessarily think in those terms, particularly when thinking about um, nature, which makes me sound like a hypocrite. But um, I, I think that um, that there's an element of um, people always like to ask this question because it must be going through their head as well. Sure. As well, and I think that to sort of con- concede a little bit here, that a lot of the time people are asking that um, because they thought about it themselves, but they're mm. still trying to catch out, say, a vegetarian or a vegan. Yeah, so there's a quite lot often of... it, it can be used a bit dishonestly, but this is more, yeah. um, in, in my case at least, I, I just find it fascinating. There's a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of people come at vegans with the an attempt at an appeal to hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. And I always find that frustrating because it's, okay, so if someone comes to me and, and tells me something about, I don't know, some kind of children's issue in some part of the world that I'm causing and I didn't realize, my first point of call would not be to find out what they're doing wrong. <laughs> You know, I'd be saying, okay, like, what, what, how can I help with this? What can mm. I do? Which is, it's always a shock to any, anyone who's vegan, who's just gone vegan will tell you this. It's always a shock when they go and tell people like, oh, I've just learned about all these horrible things and check it out. We don't need to do it. The shock we have when people turn around and go, you know, well, basically, I don't know if I can swear, but, you know, F off. And mm. you wait a minute. I thought we were going to get on. I thought you were going to be happy that I showed you this, but people get, incredibly defensive and try to point out why you're a hypocrite immediately um so you're right that you know you know mm-hmm. that that happens a lot and yeah well so, i think so it's a constant hypo- struggle hypocrisy <laughs> is just uh, an unavoidable part of human nature isn't it there's it's one of those things where we can only it's like being objective you're never mm. perfectly objective <clears throat> like you're never perfectly consistent you can just strive to minimize it and acknowledge it when people point it out i suppose mm. but it it's a very meaningless criticism of people because everyone's susceptible to hypocrisy. It's just yeah, there's levels of it. Mm. There's levels of it. I mean, I, I think there's there's meaningless hypocrisy where it doesn't really matter. Like if you say mm. something, but you you say something else another time, who cares? But when your hypocrisy comes into actions that harm others, then there's a problem. Yeah. Then there's a big problem, and that's mm-hmm. where uh, you know 
that's where usually the 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 stuff thrown at vegans is more a it's more of that kind of meaningless hypocrisy that they're trying to find whereas when vegans talk to people who aren't vegan it's like no this is like violent hypocrisy you love animals but you're doing all these horrible hor the worst things you could ever imagine the things you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy you pay for daily but mm -hmm. you tell me you care about them that's a hypocrisy that needs to be spoken about and uh you know something needs to be done about it which is why i do what mm -hmm. i do on, on the topic of hypocrisy before we get onto the nutritional stuff actually one thing that i've always been an advocate of is i think that people shouldn't eat meat unless they're comfortable with you know killing the animal and mm. doing the butchering and preparing it right um i've done i've done fishing in my time um I, i've not done much you know hunting but I'm not averse to the idea of hunting deer because they overpopulate, um, they wipe out lots of other species. They need mm -hmm. some sort of predation. Otherwise, they're going to um, basically turn everything into a grass field, which isn't good for the rest of the ecosystem. So there's there's some sort of environmental rationale for it. Mm. And um, I think that if you eat these sorts of things, you you really have to be willing to do that. And I think a lot of people aren't willing to do that. And that's where the, the hypocrisy seeps in. Mm -hmm. I, I know that yeah. I, I would be willing to do it. I don't enjoy it. I don't take no joy out of it. Um, but I, I see it as a, a necessity, um, particularly not to be a hypocrite as well. Yeah, I think uh, I'm happy that people... I'm happy that people who eat animal products can't actually go and kill the animals themselves. Because mm -hmm. honestly, I wouldn't, there's no offense, I wouldn't want to live in a world where everyone was capable of enacting violence on innocent animals. Uh, I wouldn't want them to be my neighbor. I wouldn't want them to look after my kids. I wouldn't mm -hmm. want them anywhere near my community. So I'm actually quite happy most people can't do it. It gives me a good basis to have them realize that you can't do it because you you don't want to do it because you're not naturally violent and that's good. Mm -hmm. Don't we not want more of that? We want people who are not capable of enacting violence on innocent animals. That's not, I don't think by the way, violence is useless. I want people who are capable of violence to defend themselves and their families. I think that's really important, by the way. I'm not some kind of pacifist at all, right? <laughs> I'm happy to be violent mm. if it's necessary, but not against some innocent bystander mm. or some child or... It's equivalent. The way I see hunting, and we'll get into the environmental stuff, but the way I see hunting and killing any animal, basically, is to put it into a context that's outside of animals. I feel like it's 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 like a, an ad adult abusing a child or a fully equipped person abusing uh, a mentally handicapped person or whatever is the PC way of saying it these days, who knows, right? But um, because animals, although they are adults and although they have different facilities and in, in ways they're more advanced than we are, like eyesight and hearing and stuff, it, when it comes to cognitive ability and the understanding of the world, they are equal to or lower than mm -hmm. children and mentally disabled humans. Mm -hmm. So to kill them is similar to, to, you know, obviously they're not human, but it's you're killing someone with the equivalent attributes of a child or a disabled human. Mm -hmm. But um, what about in the scenario of, say, conservation, where it's in the interest of you know the environment you yeah, said yeah. earlier right yeah, yeah. about keeping the bio, the um mm -hmm. biodiversity and stuff my point with that would be look they so we'll, we'll talk about yeah for the environment first and then the the other thing you said earlier was the kind of how it's in their best it's in their interest because 
natural predation or, or you didn't mention it, but a lot of people say disease and things like that. It's better mm -hmm. to, to kill them with the, whatever the gun or the crossbow uh, instead. I think so, uh, bow hunting in Britain is illegal is because it? of okay. the lack of uh, humanity um, right. yeah. involved in it. It's just Joe Rogan, I think, then. That's what I've been listening yeah, to. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I don't agree with sport hunting. I think that right. that's, um, you know, it, it, it's got to be for a purpose, which mm. is eating in my mind. Otherwise, it, it is needless cruelty. In my and I would say it's needless cruelty regardless because mm -hmm. they don't need to, to eat course, it. But, yeah. but okay, so the environmental point, right? I personally don't want to live in a world where we save the environment, but at the expense of creating an incredibly violent society that is capable of going out and killing. So if it's between a world where we're all going out and killing and, and we have, well, basically what we have now, basically, let's be honest, right? We've got so much conflict and killing and death in the world. If it was between that and not having a world, I'd personally choose to not have the world. Why would anyone want to, want to exist in this kind of paradigm? I don't know, right? But that's fortunately, that's not, it's not one or the other. We can have other options. So if you look at countries like Greece or other parts of the world, they have mass overpopulations of dogs and cats on the streets and it's causing problems, significant problems for them and for the environment around them. They are technically not invasive, but they're not a natural species that should be living out there with all the other animals. They have loads of issues with them. They don't go out and kill them. People go out and help them. They get vets to come out and help them. They break their leg, get hit by a car. They help with infections. They feed them. They spend time with them. They sit on the street with them. I've seen it and they hang out with the street cats and the street dogs. I don't see why a dog or a cat gets that treatment, but a deer gets this treatment. Mm -hmm. I don't see why we're not looking for, you said earlier on, technological innovation. Why we're we not looking for technological innovations where we can help them without going out and trying to shoot them, right? Um, mm -hmm. I think... Um there's a when it comes to deer I'm, I'm not a deer hunter so i'm not you know an expert but what i do know of deer from having seen them quite a lot is that they're very very skittish and yeah. it's just a it will be a matter of technology because the kind of gun you need to sedate them which would be the sort of um solution that you would want um sometimes you can't get within the range to do mm -hmm. so without them noticing you and so it's simply much easier at the minute to use a rifle because you can be further away. I get it. I understand. It's just, I don't understand why people go straight for the, it, it, I mean, I'm not saying you do this, but a lot of hunters, I'll go on record and say a lot of hunters, they do revel in it. They love it. They don't cry down the scope mm. of the rifle while they're shooting a deer. They get off on it. Not in a, maybe in that way. I don't know. But you know what I'm saying? They really love it. They're mm -hmm. proud. They hold up the antlers and stuff like that. They put it on the wall. They sometimes put the head on the wall and stuff. It's 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 a thing they love to do. So I, I worry and I think a lot of the times that the environmentalism aspect of it is an excuse. And again, I don't want to live in a society where these people are, thank, thankfully, they're not much the majority. And I wouldn't want to live in a place where they were the majority. I'd want to live in a place where they're getting their heads together to figure out ways to help these animals without putting bullets through their, or attempting mm -hmm. to put bullets through their hearts. It's a very violent thing to try to do to quote unquote help, right? Mm -hmm. um, they can also, they've been talking about dropping in contraceptives um, hidden in food for deer. Um, so they, they know where they go, they monitor them, track them, and then they plant these mm -hmm. things around. And so this is something they were testing as well. That's true. Right. There is a, a bit of a flaw in that because at least in the, the human contraceptive pill, there's a lot of um, estrogen runoff that affects things like fertility. And that mm. might be one of the reasons why if you look at a graph of uh, male fertility in, in the West, mm. um, 
since the 1960s, it, it basically plummets. And that, that mm. could also be due to lots of other things as well, um, like changes in diet, things right. like that. And, yeah. and so, you know, changes in lifestyle as well. So it, it might be alternatives, but mm. it seems to be that that runoff is having some sort of effect that's right. got unintended consequences. Yeah. But, um, yeah. For the, the cats and dogs scenario, um, I think that is an easier problem to solve because um, they're not nearly as skittish of humans. In fact, they'll come mm. up to them. I, I know yeah. um, when I was in Greece, you know, you, you would have a, a sort of street cat that would come up to you yeah, and you could yeah, stroke yeah. its head and... You know, yeah, they're, they're relatively out. friendly. You, you might get a few flea bites, but... Yeah, yeah. But if they weren't, mm. we wouldn't see the government being like, all right, mm -hmm. go on then, guys, go and gun them down. And, um, yeah, I think that um, if, if they are causing environmental problems, either um, sort of capturing them and neutering them mm -hmm. or moving them elsewhere might be a good idea. And yeah, you we'll, could do that with deer. It'd be a lot more difficult, obviously, because right. they don't have they don't have that domestication yeah. sort of uh, yeah. removing their instincts. I, I guess the point I'm making is is the people that want to go out and shoot them, I don't believe their motives are altogether pure. Mm -hmm. And it's been proven that they're not. I mean, you go and look at, look at, there's a couple of examples just recently, not with deer, but with, um, one with a deer, sorry, actually, we'll start with that. There was a guy in America who shot a deer and, um, the deer wasn't dead, was paralyzed because he'd uh, shot through the spine, I suppose. And instead of killing the deer there and then, he took the deer home, um, messed around, took some videos and stuff like that, and then eventually killed the deer after about two hours of this deer just paralyzed and just most likely terrified and not knowing what was going on. And, and they're trying to get charges pressed against him for animal cruelty, which is obviously weird Seems considering. reasonable to my mind. Well, yeah. it is reasonable, but the actual act of going out and shooting the deer was also cruel. Um, but yeah, this is excessive cruelty, of course. And, uh, you know, this, I'm not saying if, if there'll be some hunters watching this screaming down the, the camera, down the um, TV, the TV now, like, no, that, but that's horrible. That's wrong. And I agree with you. It is wrong. But the point is, is why do you want to go and shoot them in the first place? This guy clearly has no value of life, of the sanctity mm -hmm. of life. And, I mean, why would he? He's going out shooting animals for, okay, you might justify it by environmentalism or because I need the food, but he doesn't need the food. And surely there are other ways we can consider for the, for the planet, TM, before we uh, go out trying to shoot at them, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, one more thing I'd say on this is we've got people in developing countries who are still you know, dying of malaria, dying of all different types of, die from a cut because they can't get hold of basic medicine. And uh, they're in this cycle of just, you know, having kids and then having diseases, dying, having kids, and it just goes on like this. And it's not as many, like we said before, but it still exists. And we'd never for a second consider going in and saying, well, you know, it's bad for them. It's bad for the environment around mm -hmm. them. They're depleting all the resources. Let's go and wipe them out or let's go and control their numbers. Um, and I know this is human and I understand we're different, but, but then what is that difference that makes it wrong, completely wrong to consider doing that for a human or a dog, but totally okay for a deer, the skittishness. So if the humans were skittish, would it be all right? <laughs> it still wouldn't be all right. So then what is it? The answer is usually, but religious people usually point out that, okay, it's just because we're made in the image of God, which... There's an impasse there because it's just, you know, mm -hmm. how are you supposed to argue? You're an atheist. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, you, course, you just yeah. have to stop at that point. Okay, mm -hmm. this is pointless. But ultimately, there's no one really has the answer for it. They say, oh, it's just because we're human. That's not an answer. That What does that mean? DNA? So if someone doesn't have human DNA, we can kill them, but they look like a human. Do you see what I mean? Mm -hmm. So the answer is, 
like I said earlier, I think we should prioritize the fact that they are living, breathing, feeling, sentient beings. And that's the important thing, regardless of whether they have first scales or anything else, we should try to give them the basic respect of not going out and trying to shoot them as a first prior as a first thing and look for ways we can do this. Well, you know? I, I mean, I'm not averse to considering alternatives, but I think that, you know, out of all of the ways of eating meat is probably one of the perhaps more justifiable ones because at least they're having a hand in it and they're not uh, allowing someone else to do it and it's out of sight out of mind and there could yeah. be a sort of rationale for it at least serving some sort of greater purpose in an environmental sense and I, I do agree that there are people who are just sadistic that like inflicting pain and obviously that's not everyone but have um, you ever met a hunter who hated hunting um I don't know. I imagine I've, uh, it's very difficult to find someone who has a hobby that they hate, really. Well, that's it? what I mean. It's a hobby because they mm. enjoy it, which means they are sadistic in some level because they enjoy going out and shooting animals. That is, in, that is in its essence, is that not sadistic? There's an innocent animal here that doesn't know you've, you're there with a high-powered rifle. They're living their life. They're doing whatever they're doing, and you go and sneak up on them and shoot them. There's always going to be a level of... But I, I suppose they're not conceptualizing it in in the same way they don't necessarily see it not. yeah yeah as in they they don't necessarily see it as i'm going out to inflict pain today that's um, what they're doing though whether I, they see it that way or not it's what they're mm, doing they're going out to preemptively end the life of an animal uh, by trying to shoot at them with a high-powered rifle i think um someone's intentions do, do inform whether they're considered sadistic in my mind or <laughs> not. Um, yeah. The outcome, the point is the outcomes are saying whether someone is, uh, you know, enjoying it and really enjoying the violence or not, the outcome is the same. They've gone mm -hmm. out and uh, took it upon themselves to go and do this. Mm -hmm. And um, what you said about it being more justifiable, that would be the case if they didn't have a choice. Yeah. If they, if it was like some tribe in Africa and they've got a hold of some rifles or something, then it's, and they're doing it because they, they just couldn't, they'll die otherwise. I, some vegans might say that's still not justifiable or, you know, I, I'm a, I try to stick to reality here and, and realize that that those tribes are absolutely the bottom of the pile of things that need to be sorted out. Right. And the same with hunting, to be honest with you, hunting is such a minority that, We've kind of got into it, but ultimately it's it's a small fry in the grand scheme of things mm -hmm. when compared to factory farming, which 99% of people mm -hmm. fund on a daily basis. So we, we're slowly running out of time. So we yeah. kind of have to speed through some of the nutrition stuff. Sure, and sure, then sure. We can talk about the sort of um feasibility of more people transitioning to veganism, which okay. I'm I'm genuinely interested in. Yeah, sounds good. I, I don't know that much about it and I just want to pick your brain basically. Cool. Um but before we get onto that very quickly, I just wanted to say that my kind of view of hunting is very akin to that of say the the sort of hunter gatherer of you know, you have reverence for the animal, you don't you don't waste it, you respect it, you know, there's this sort of um I don't know what it is. It, it might be the sort of residual paganism that growing up in <laughs> Devon has given me or something whereby there's a, a certain amount of reverence and appreciation. Um, I think um, that that's come from me watching lots of Ray Mears, as I previously mentioned, yeah, yeah. where he goes out and talks to, uh, say, you know, Native American tribes um, in Canada mm -hmm. who are still living their traditional lives and they talk right. about honouring the animals and things like that. I think that if if it's going to happen, it has to happen in that sort of way where it's respectful mm. and and not wasteful and with purpose right. rather than um, 
for sports and you know for pleasure because that right. I, I agree with you on on that front that it it seems sadistic and, and cruel. Yeah, I mean, if you don't have to eat them and you do, and it is for pleasure. So this is the point is I, I don't see a distinction between someone buying a burger at McDonald's and someone going hunting mm-hmm. for, for a pleasure trophy hunting because the trophy hunter, why does he do it? I'm killing because I like it. It's my hobby. Why is the person eating at McDonald's when they don't have to get that beef burger? It's because I like it. Mm-hmm. So it's for pleasure. So they're both for pleasure. That takes us quite nicely onto the nutrition because okay. um, I think the key thing in nutrition, from what I understand, I'm certainly no, um, you know, nutritionist. So if I get something Same. wrong, <laughs> Same, yeah. if, if, in fact, I'm if sure. we get something wrong, <laughs> oh, I'm sure this yeah, is the bit where, I'm sure this is the bit where all the junior doctors are going to come out. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, as I understand it, the key thing is bioavailability is, is how much nutrients your body can absorb from the food you're eating. Right. And obviously our understanding of nutrition isn't yet complete. So there are lots of unknowns. Um, involved in there and what I try and, and bear in mind is that because I sort of lean towards the, the paleo diet is well if I can't know the ins and outs of nutrition at least eating what roughly what my ancestors ate you know in a, a comparable nutritional sense right will at least get those bases covered and okay. I'm not going to be malnourished because okay. you know it, it it genuinely feels horrible when I was a student once living off of pizza and um <laughs> I, I just felt bad all of the time. And yeah, yeah, I bet. I, I don't want to return to that. <laughs> and I think that we have a sort of in, intuitive sense that nature knows best. When raising children, for example, everyone knows that when you're feeding a baby, um, breast milk is much better than formula because mm-hmm. there's lots of things in there that we don't necessarily know. Because your baby's not a cow as well. That's that true. plays yeah. into it a little bit, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but... At least we know it's specifically designed for that purpose, right? And, and so yeah. we, we know that there's an, an element of certainty that this is doing us some good. Mm-hmm. And and that's kind of how I approach the nutritional stuff. Okay, I did have um, a, a study that I was going to have a look at. Here we go. Um, and I, I'm just going to summarize it because we're running out of time and I don't want to... Uh, miss out on some of the good stuff. But, All right. but basically it says that there's a sort of balance. This this more or less summarized my understanding of it, but it's a UK-based paper from 2016. It basically says um, some people are malnourished because um, they're missing lots of things that are found in meat. Mm. I'm wording that uh, so I'm not being uncharitable. Okay. Um, but also some people are eating too much and it's giving them uh, sort of a deficit. And my understanding of nutrition is um, you eat a little bit of everything. You don't need everything in equal proportion, but um, if you're eating some of everything, you're not going to have the deficits whereby um, you're significantly impacted. Right. So say, uh, you know, an iron deficiency where it can be quite debilitating to be anemic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so um, it kind of covers all bases. And, and my sort of point here is that some people do eat too much meat, even by my meat eating standards, right. that is doing them uh, notable harm. And um, from the sort of nutritional standpoint, there's a sort of sweet spot, um, at least in some papers that um, don't dismiss eating meat altogether. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's more or less how I, I look at things. Okay. And okay. Um, 
I, I just wanted to fire through some of the nutritional stuff if, okay. you, if you can humor it so then you, right. you you can speak a bit more freely all right, all right. um so i think that there's there are more things like amino acids um in there that that, that makes them more complete sources of protein i think when you're vegan you're meant to have um, lots of different sources of protein and i think it, it can be quite difficult um, to get the equivalent amount of nutrition based on um, adopting you know all of these different food groups it, it's also probably going to be a little bit more expensive because you're going to have to buy multiple different kinds of things that might spoil and might go to waste um, so there's a, a practical element there as well um, there's also the um, example of heme iron which mm -hmm. I never knew existed until I did the research yeah. for this podcast um, which is more bioavailable than regular iron and it is only found in meat it's not found in in plants and therefore um you can still have enough iron from a plant-based diet to get by but it's not quite optimal say you're you know quite a, a a big bloke like myself in terms of height not so much uh, build anymore i stopped going to the gym so much um <laughs> there's going to be a lot more demand and sometimes that can't be met simply um through you know supplementing it because supplements are suboptimal you you need to eat solid foods ideally you know i, I take a, a multivitamin every morning it's got 23 different kinds just in case mm -hmm. you know to top up the the deficit but um it's still not as desirous as getting it from the food itself because that's how your body is sort of optimized to get it and i don't think we necessarily agree um disagree on that, that no front. it's good it's yeah. if you yeah yeah um <laughs> Of course, iron being important for blood oxidization as well. I forgot mm -hmm. to mention that, which is very important, um, particularly uh, if you do lots of exercise. So the, the big one is uh, vitamin B12. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that you've come across lots of things about this, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and meat and dairy are good sources of vitamin B12. Um, and this is invo involved in neurological um, functions, DNA synthesis, and the formation of red blood cells. So it's very important that you have it right. Mm -hmm. um, it can be found in some plant-based foods, I will concede. Uh, shiitake mushrooms, um, soya milk, and nori, which um, is seaweed, I believe. Um, quite partial to seaweed, actually. <laughs> it, it's quite nice. I, I never. It, it has no right of being as good as it yeah, is. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's still not in the same quantities. And, and my point yep. being is that um, it's, it's very difficult to get the the level of bioavailable nutrients in, in a plant-based diet. You've got to be very, very put together and you know have it all planned out to um, get to that point. And mm -hmm. I imagine it might be okay for you who's very much enmeshed in you know vegan activism you've mm -hmm. you've read the literature on it and you know about nutrition and things like that and therefore you know what to look out for but it might not work for everyone and i, I suppose my my question for you would be what do we do right so I, i'll try and i'll go from the last bit and i'll i'll restart there the was beginning. a lot there it's a lot Sorry. in here i think i'm following though i, I think my b12 i told my b12 today so i think we're all right um all right so first thing the last thing you said there so I, you'd think that I would be really dialed in with nutrition because um, I'm a 
an activist in this world, but but I'm I'm honestly not like I, I don't particularly I wouldn't consider myself to be a super healthy eater. I go to the gym and I eat a lot because I'm bulking right now. I was at 72 kilos about seven months ago. Now I'm at just under 90, so I'm oh, really okay. trying to bulk hard. So that's not I'm not eating healthy though. Like I'm not <laughs> doing this for health. I'm doing this because I want to get as you know, big. You know, I just mm -hmm. want to see if I can do it. And so far, it's all good. It's okay when you're bulking anyway. Not to right, eat yeah. healthy. It, yeah, it all gets used eventually, doesn't it? Right. That's it. That's it. Exactly. But I'm not. I'm not enjoying losing my abs. <laughs> They're disappearing <laughs> every day. I've got little love handles at the back now, but I'll get rid of it. Don't worry. I'll, yeah, I'll cut it down again. I think mine is mostly <laughs> red wine and beer. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, um, no, it's been really good. This, this, just on a side note, but I, my progress in strength has been crazy. I went from not being able to really bench that much at all to now I'm, I'm looking at pushing ninety, which is um, for reps, which is really mm -hmm. good, ninety kilos for me anyway. I've never in my life bench that much. So I'm really happy with how we're going with it. So- um, Well done, congratulations. Yeah, I'm hoping for a hundred though. And that, that, once you break, have you ever done a hundred? I think so, yeah. There, there was a period of time where I went to the gym every day. I was working nice. as a lifeguard at like 19, which All is right, like the okay. best time to do it. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. I got free access to like Olympic level. It That's was sick. where some of the professional divers trained. And so I had a really, really good gym. And I was That's going sick. every day doing like three hours. It was ridiculous. It was all I was doing for a while. Nice. Getting a little bit obsessed, but oh, good. obviously- <laughs> I've uh, not carried that on. But we have this unfortunate curse of being quite, you've got the same body type as me, tall and slim. And if you stop training, just goes. That's it. It's all gone. And then you just go back to a, you know, the similar size you were when you were like 17, right? It's really annoying. Yep. Not in your case. I don't know if you have. I know I've experienced it. As yeah, well, yeah, so it's really well, frustrating. I've been <laughs> a little bit better recently, but right. I have got to that point before. Yeah. Yeah. It's annoying. Um, so my point is, is that it's, it's depending on your goals, right? Um, I'm not unhealthy by any means, but I'm not living some perfectly healthy life. I'm definitely getting enough protein because I'm building all the muscle. Um, I only take two supplements, um, which you get in your multi one, no doubt, which is just D and B12. Um, that's, that's just to cover those bases. Um, I probably get it through other foods, fortified and stuff, but most of what, like at least Western studies in the West have shown people are uh, actually not getting enough B12 or D, especially in the UK in the winter and um, course, other countries. Yeah. So they recommend it across the board anyway. And iron, um, and in some studies, they found 20, 25 to 30% of people across, I think the USA are deficient in iron despite the fact they eat so much meat. And the reason for that is when you cook meat, you lose a lot of the heme iron. So it might be more bioavailable, but there's not as much in it as that you would imagine. Whereas vegans, on the other hand, get quite a lot of iron from things like legumes, like lentils. Mm -hmm. And when you cook them, the iron is actually better um, the more when they're cooked, they don't lose it. It actually mm -hmm. becomes more accessible, which is why you don't eat them raw. It, it right? does come up with one drawback in that they're, they're not very bioavailable in other areas, right? In mm. that they, they take quite a long time to digest. And this sometimes is, yeah. some legumes can actually be uh, calorie negative, a bit like celery. So, so with the bioavailability thing, I mean, all you got to look at is the outcomes, right? And the outcomes are, if someone's iron deficient, no amount of meat or legumes is going to save them. They have to supplement most of the mm -hmm. time anyway, right? But the outcomes, when you're looking at the biggest studies that have been done on vegans, meat eaters, pescatarians, um, have shown the vegans on top in B12, D, iron, um, and on top in terms of BMI and risks for cancer, diabetes, heart disease have all been the lowest. So we've seen that it's not actually an issue in vegans. So despite the fact that the bioavailability might be lower in legumes or, or in plant-based foods, it's mm -hmm. not impacting them negative, us negatively, actually. It's still working out. Whereas a lot of the meat eaters in these studies were found to be having struggles with things that you would expect they would be smashing, like iron and 
red meat or whatever, but it's not working out that way. So regardless of what's happening with the mechanism mm -hmm. of how it's been absorbed, these are the outcomes. Yeah. Obviously, and we can look into why that is, but the point is the vegans are not having a problem, despite the fact that there might be a slightly lower bioavailability with iron, right? Um, same with protein. They might the, the there was always this thing for a while that okay plant based protein is not as available or it's not as complete. But then when you look at the outcomes of muscle growth, it's the same between mm -hmm. animal based protein and plant based protein. So again, it you know how we get there is is less important than what happens, right? Mm -hmm. And what happens is there's no difference. Um, seeing, so I think the my sort of psychological um, research methodology hat is tingling a little bit yeah, yeah. And, and saying that there might be a bit of a, a sampling bias in some of the studies purely on the basis of if you're mm -hmm. vegan you're more diet conscious like full stop and, and so yeah possibly um, that that might select the kind of person that gravitates towards it and right and, and so it might be difficult um to it might be if if you're designing an experiment to control for that um mm. you might want to get people of say equivalent um bmis or something like that right different possibly diets yeah. or something like that whereby it might be a little bit more fair because i think um sure well the point is though i mean a, the point is we could all do with applying ourselves a little bit more with mm -hmm. what we eat anyway um but that if someone's eating the only way you could eat for example a protein an amino acid deficient diet is if you only ate rice and nothing else so amino acid profiles are not an issue uh, with combining foods and things like that that's largely a myth like all all plant-based foods have a complete profile just in varying amounts if you have rice and beans it's fine now how much protein you need that's a whole other topic altogether mm. unfortunately we have this link between men and meat because it's been drilled into us that meat, men should eat lots of meat because meat has protein and men need lots of protein, which is true if, like we were talking, if you're going to the gym and you're an athlete and you're trying to build muscle, true. If you sit around filming podcasts, not as true, right? For both of us. I mean, I sit on my ass mm. most of the day. So, but before I was training, I didn't need much protein. Now I'm training, I need a lot of protein. People need to realize that this is how it is for all of us. If your job doesn't require you to do anything physical, you don't need to be smashing loads of protein. The only reason you think you do is because the big meat industry propaganda and has indoctrinated you into a thinking that's what's manly thing to do. Why? Because men need protein. But it's not true. You're probably doing yourself more harm by consuming more protein than you need. Um, but anyway, the point that's a whole mm -hmm. separate thing. The, the meat is manly thing makes no sense. It's indoctrination. So if you've been the, the, in my opinion, the man, manly thing to do would be to reject this indoctrination and say, no, I'm going to look into it myself and realize that's the thing to do. That, that's more, mm -hmm. um, you know, a strong-minded person, right? That's mm -hmm. what you want to be. Um, but I'll get to the point. The conclusion yeah. is basically, regardless of these points, you, things you pointed out with meat and bioavailability, the outcomes are that vegans are as healthy, if not healthier than the counterparts or can be at least you can eat junk if you want it's, it's certainly right uh, from from my reading of the literature and my limited <laughs> understanding of it it's yeah. possible but it's more difficult from what i read at least maybe i, right. I read different research papers right there's lots of them out there and so it depends on okay well it depends on what you define as difficult right i mm -hmm. mean is is it is it difficult to switch things around the way things you've been doing for 20 years and change them all right, yeah, some level of, if you changed, if you just went and started working somewhere new now, that would be difficult, right? Of course. But yeah. if it was beneficial to you, if it was beneficial to the world, you'd do it regardless of it being difficult. Mm -hmm. This is nothing different. This is no different to that. So yeah, it's going to be a change of pace. It's going to be learning new things, but it's not 
that in the UK especially, it's not like it's much less convenient than before. Um, and even if it were, is it not worth it? After the things we've talked about today, after the things we showed on the screen, is it not worth it? Even if it were going to cost you an extra 10 minutes a day or an extra an hour a week, maybe to prepare your meals uh, because you want to make sure that, I don't know, while you're having this change, you have to learn all the new recipes and things. So it might take you a bit longer for a couple of weeks. I think it's worth it. But the out like I said, anyway, the outcome is that I, I don't believe it takes a significant amount more time or more money to do this. Mm -hmm. I'm not living on a big budget, put it that way. And most vegans, um, you know, they're not. It's like we're not. We're not all super rich or anything like that. Put it that way. It, I wouldn't necessarily make the argument from a sort of cost perspective. Anyway, some people I think, think that. Though, yeah, right? they, they do. They but, think um, we're all we're all high class rich elites. <laughs> <laughs> right. We we're very close to. I see. The end that's of the why day. I'm trying to like yeah, speed yeah, yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I suppose. Um, <laughs> final thing. Uh, I'm not going to say anything on this. I had a bunch of stuff to say. I was going to mention right. sort of palm oil and it being. Um, potentially bad for the environment and okay. um, how lab-grown meats in its infancy and um, how um, I use the example of quinoa in Bolivia. If everyone in America became vegan, mm. then that traditional staple of, of Bolivian culture mm -hmm. would then become unaffordable to them and how this shifting of the market um, would in theory favor the west so mm. um i know that's a lot to throw at you <laughs> right at the end but yeah. um just in a sort of summary um how, how feasible what what sort of transition do you think yeah like so, so how, how are things going to go so like yeah. you said at the beginning uh or at least earlier on you said that it's going to be a gradual thing. There's not going to be a flick of a switch and everybody changes. That is a bad thing for animals and all those individual animals that that we've, we saw in this video and, and that live and experience lives just like our pets, right? So I just want people to listen and to realize that, that the experience your pet goes through is, is no different than the experience a cow or a pig or a chicken goes through in a slaughterhouse. Now imagine how horrendous that is, right? So for them, this is bad. But for the industries and for the for the all the infrastructure it's good because we live in well it's capitalism right so where there's money there's innovation that's how it goes the more people that start demanding plant-based products and vegan alternatives the more of these big wigs will go hey there's money to be made there just like the biggest meat companies in the world have started investing in um clean meat or lab meat, right? Because they know there's money to be had. They know people would give, given, given a choice between, hey, you can have slaughter, guts, violence, and death, or you can have a clean lab. Why would you want to take the lab and add all of the slaughter and the guts and the death? They know that it's an easy sell, so they're starting mm -hmm. to invest in it. Um, and we've seen it multiple times. The, industry, the food industry is completely different to what it was 50 years ago. It's already adapted. It's already changed. So I have no doubt in my mind that things will adapt and everything will be fine. No one, it's not like things are going to collapse. It's going to be very, very gradual and things mm -hmm. will will rectify themselves as we go where the money goes, right? In terms of putting people out of business or putting um, indigenous people out of business for their own foods, um, no, I don't want that to happen. You know, I've, I don't know how that can be avoided. I, I don't know that I that it is going to happen if everybody goes vegan. I don't know why quinoa is, quinoa is not a staple of my diet, for example. So is that uh, how it's pronounced? I pronounced it. Yeah, incorrectly. yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I should have said it Oops. your way. So you followed quinoa. Yeah, I, like like um uh, like Joaquin, but the other way around. Quinoa that shows what I know. Life, <laughs> life of eating meat. Is. <laughs> but yeah, to summarize that, um, that's a separate issue. Basically, I was I would say that, you mm -hmm. know that's I wouldn't say quinoa. It's not like vegans only eat quinoa. 
uh, or mm-hmm. quinoa is only eaten by vegans. That's an issue for society to sol- solve. And the people who are focused on human rights will solve that. And I will support them doing that. But um, like avocados and things, they, people like to pin this on vegans. It's, it's really not us. It's the issue with avocados and quinoa. Before, yeah. huh? I've eaten them before. I, yeah, I, mean, I mean, most 99% of people that eat avocados and quinoa are not vegans. So that is a society-wide issue that we all need to come together and figure out. Uh, not a vegan one. That's what I would answer sure. to that. Yeah. So I think we're more or less out of time. So um, I've really enjoyed this conversation, actually. I, I feel like I've certainly learned a lot about your your perspective. Um, hopefully you've you've learned something about mine. I don't know whether you've heard all of these arguments before. Um, Slightly different, more mm-hmm. um, advanced versions of some small simplistic ones I've heard on the street, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> you, you put more thought into it than the average oh, person, thank you. for sure. Um, and uh, hopefully you at home have um, enjoyed this conversation as well. I. I enjoyed that it was actually a nice, civil, productive one where we're trying to explain our positions and not shout at each other. Those are the kind of discussions. Finish up on that if you want. (laughs) (laughs) Finish shouting. (laughs) It's the end of the day now. You'll be lucky to uh, even get this sort of volume out of me. Yeah. (laughs) But um, thank you very much for watching and goodbye.